0: sounds familiar a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes plot points or overarching ideas be sure to follow us on twitter and instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule news and discussions take your seat grab your popcorn and silence your cell phones now please enjoy the show Welcome to Sounds Familiar. My name is Caleb, and I'm losing to a bird!
1: My name's Stephanie, and it's not right for a woman to read. Soon she starts getting ideas and thinking.
2: (laughs) I'm Justin, and do I still have to sleep in the cupboard?
1: (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) Actually, if anything, we're in the cupboard right now because we're recording this in a closet. So, yeah.
0: Uh, it was nice recording two episodes not in a closet. I
1: know, I know. Alright, Now I'm back so, in the closet! Hello, um, and welcome to the second episode of Sounds Familiar's Disney Renaissance Month. That is the month of September, and we are covering, uh, most of the films of the Disney Renaissance. Uh, one might not be covered this month, but we will get to it eventually, promise. Um, Last week, we talked about The Lion King and Hercules. Uh, This week, we are talking about, um, actually, my personal two favorite Disney movies, uh, Beauty and the Beast and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, So... Guys, what will uh, we say our point of comparison is this evening? I ask, even though I'm the one who came up with it.
0: Who is the monster (laughs) and who is the man?
1: Uh, There we go, we did
0: it. Episode over.
2: (laughs) That's the episode, guys.
1: Um, So, uh, tonight we are talking about uh, men and monsters, monsters and men. Of monsters and men. Yes, and uh, the pretty ladies um, who get caught up in all of this. Uh, yeah. So. And
0: what makes a monster? And what makes a man? Sing the
1: bells, bells, <laughs> bells, bells. Yeah. Um. Both of these are, uh, pretty literal, I guess, about this dichotomy. Um. I won't spoil it for you, but, um...
0: What are you talking about, spoiling it? Why are you listening to (laughs) this if you haven't watched these movies? That's
1: the joke. It was... I was about to say, I won't spoil it for you, but the monster is the man, and the man is the monster. Ah, But you didn't give me a chance to, so... Yeah.
0: If only I knew that when I watched Van Helsing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um... So, yeah, so these two are both uh, the the lens through which we will primarily be examining them this evening is kind of this shared concept of what it means to be monstrous and what it means to to have humanity Um, and how that can be monstrous. Yeah, how that can be belied by outside appearances. Thank you, Caleb. (laughs)
0: Sorry, I was, Justin made a face when I said manstress. <laughs> manstress. It just It didn't sit right in the ear, I'm sorry.
2: I know, it is unpleasant to the ear. <laughs> right.
0: Okay. We can jump into our experiences with these films?
1: Yeah, let's go ahead and do it.
0: Okay. Uh. Alright. I am once again going to be pitchforked for this. Ah. Uh... I did not watch these much as a kid. I owned both of them. I did not really watch Beauty and the Beast, and I watched Hunchback and Notre Dame probably a little bit more, but not frequently. This was only my second time seeing it, like, since elementary school. I've only watched it twice as an adult. Um, and I've also only watched Beauty and the Beast twice as an adult. Um, I... Saw the trailer for Hunchback of Notre Dame Before Toy Story more times than I've seen This movie Um <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact when we were watching it I was like uh oh, Stephanie that line was in the trailer Yeah so that he one. actually was so calling was out one.
1: multiple lines that He was like oh yeah that was in the trailer I was like how do you remember this What a
0: woman Look <laughs> I remember it because I watched my Toy Story VHS So many times that I wore it out And my parents had to buy me a second copy
1: <laughs> Um so, uh, yeah, my experiences with these are a little different because I grew up watching Beauty and the Beast all the time. So, as I'm sure you've gathered through bits and pieces on the podcast, my, uh, my exposure to media was a little weird as a kid. Like, my family did not own a TV uh, and for a long time did not own a VHS player, all, all that kind of stuff, uh, until I was in high school. Uh, but I did grow up watching Beauty and the Beast a lot because my aunt owned it and I would watch it over at her house. Um, like every time me and my brothers would go over to my aunt's house we were so excited because that meant we could watch movies (laughs) Uh, which is a little depressing now that I say it out loud Um, but yeah so I watched this one a lot like I was so obsessed with it like to the extent where I had the dialogue memorized for a while at one point (laughs) like when I was in I want to say like late elementary school age I could pretty much uh recall all of it like not necessarily shot for shot, but definitely line for line.
0: Right. She's not quite as good as Pro ZD with Peter Pan.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> super natural. Um, but yeah, I was very into it and I'm still super into it. I just, I love the story. Um, I'm not as big a fan of the uh, live action remake that just came out, but uh, we won't be talking about that this evening. Uh, but this one is really good More ever, um, hopefully Yeah, the, I don't know I would kind of like to talk about the Disney live-action remakes at some point Just because I, no, no, no I feel like there's a lot of interesting things I to be do about I will do it there. for the
0: good of our art
1: Yes, I think there's a lot to talk about there Not all of it's positive, for sure, but still Anyways, so, um, yeah So I grew up really obsessed with Beauty and the Beast uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame introduced, uh, <laughs> Interestingly I didn't see it until I was in high school. I actually uh, didn't really have that much of a desire to see it because I didn't really know the story that well until I somehow uh, watched a YouTube video of just the song God Help the Outcasts.
0: I'm going to assume it had something to do with Tumblr.
1: No, it was before I was on Tumblr. What? Wow. Yeah, This was when I was like 15, I think. I didn't get on Tumblr until I was like 16, 17.
0: Ah.
1: Um, I ended up watching it And I was like Holy what I need to watch this movie Like uh,
0: So just for curiosity's sake Did you watch Hunchback of Notre Dame Before or after we met?
1: Me and you? Yeah Oh before But not that long before Yeah Maybe about a year before
0: Okay Interesting
1: Um Yeah um,
0: Stephanie's backstory
1: (laughs) Yeah my backstory Is slowly being unlocked Over the course of these episodes If you listen to all of them You can actually unlock The whole thing And get a prize
0: um, <laughs> it's depression.
1: Yeah, the, the prize is being sad. Uh, no, it's okay. I've already claimed that prize. Am I right? Um, anyways so I, I I watched the movie. Um, I was obsessed with it, um, and I, I still am. Like like I said, this one in Beauty and the Beast are my two favorites. I just there's something about the like the gothic tones of both of these. Uh, you know, the extremely high stakes, like dark settings. Uh, romantic plots, uh, you know, villainous characters. I just I love all of it very much, um, which I'm sure we'll be getting into. Uh, yeah, and Justin, what what about what about you? Uh,
2: so last week I mentioned that one of these movies is uh, the first movie I remember fully seeing in theaters. That's uh, *Hunchback*. Um, so wow, I wish like, I wish
1: I'd seen that. This
2: is a <laughs> this is a big part of my origin story as well um i did own all of the like uh clamshell disney vhs's that were coming out around this time the mm,
0: so satisfying to black open.
2: diamond label ones whatever <laughs> um and i didn't re-watch hunchback a lot uh, i guess it made me feel weird things as a kid <laughs> uh <laughs> and i didn't watch it but uh beauty and the beast i actually watched a good bit um now it had been uh, a minute since i had watched either of these um i don't think i've ever seen hunchback as an adult and i saw beauty and the beast once after drinking a bottle and a half of wine uh that seems like Uh, a good
0: a good way to do it it is french i think they'd approve a good way to spend the
3: night yeah
0: um but i do
2: have i do have soft spots uh for both of these movies hunchback especially uh we'll talk about it when we get into it but this rewatch i was like i uh, can't believe this was made by disney i know Uh, i know
1: and that's why we love it
2: Uh, oh we stand yeah we stand we stand (laughs) well (laughs) i I do love both of these movies so i'm excited to talk about them me too
1: Alright, um, so I guess I'm going to be taking the lead on the narration this evening, which I mean, you guys are totally welcome to help, because um, I'm sure I'll go off on other tangents. But I know these movies more or less like the back of my hand. I say that now, watch me get something wrong, and then you guys will be like, uh, I thought you said you needed to like the back of your hand, which I would say, I don't look at the back of my hand and that much. And then we'll hit
0: you with a giant crane. <laughs>
1: y- yeah, I guess. A la Robin
0: Williams and robots. Oh, for oh. For listeners who have watched robots.
1: That would be all two of them.
0: Yes, all Man, two of our listeners. Am I right?
1: No, Ooh. just all two people who have seen robots. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Okay. So Beauty and the Beast. So,
0: oh, hold on. We got a puppy flapping. Oh. All right. He- we're good.
1: <laughs> we're good. We're good. Apollo was sitting in here with us, but he's like, "Yeah, I've had enough of this shit," and he's out. <laughs> all right. So Beauty and the Beast. Nineteen
2: ninety-one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the, the second year film of my with birth. the Disney
1: Renaissance. What? It's
0: so the year of my birth.
1: Oh, that is the year of your wow, birth. Wow. Right. You're
2: old as shit.
1: Uh, sh- you know what?
2: <laughs> my back Caleb is killing me.
1: <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> we were born in 94, so Lion King is our birth year movie. Um, mm. All right. So I absolutely love the Beauty and the Beast prologue. Like, the music is so gorgeous. Like
0: and um, the animation is very classic disney. Yeah,
1: it reminds me of snow white. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: like the the shot of the forest before we paint up to the castle.
1: There's a deer. The music's very light and fairy tale like. Um so this is our prologue. This is how we are introduced to to how the beast be- became what he is. And uh he has a name like canonically his name is Adam, but that is like never said in the movie. I think it must be said in one of the direct-to-DVD sequels because it, it just isn't said in this movie. And even when Belle is, like, fully in love with him, she's still calling him Beast, which is, like, whatever you're into, girl. Um, but anyway, so this is... And
2: she is into it. Oh,
1: she's into Oh, yeah. You know what? We do not take shame
2: Bell on this podcast.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no? She should do whatever she wants. Um, So this is showing how he came to be cursed, essentially, Um, him and all his servants you know who I guess were also terrible except they weren't but they also got cursed for some reason Um, speaking of which I am (laughs) I am very specifically going to not let myself get into all the plot holes that this story famously has because one we don't need to talk about them because they're not important two because the remake already bent over backwards to address most of them and it's actually kind of annoying the extent to which it did that because like you don't really need to do that Um, anyways, uh, we just won't get into that, but so basically he is transformed into a beast because he denies an old beggar woman shelter in the castle. She turns into an enchantress. He attempts to apologize, but, uh, it was too late for she had already seen that there was no love in his heart. So she transforms him into a beast. He cannot transform back into a man. Unless he has not only learned to love someone else, but earned that person's love in return,
0: the greatest thing you'll ever learn Mm. is just to love and be loved (laughs) in return.
1: Thank you, Toulouse, from Baz Luhrmann's *Moulin Rouge*. Uh, That is Uh, kind of what's going on here. Yeah, Uh, I mean,
2: (laughs) yeah. uh, I I just wanted to say that. we take it for granted because it's been around for so long, but uh, the character design for Beast is fantastic.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. I think on one of actually speaking of DVD features or like VHS features that we had on Disney movies as a kid, there was one that had like a little like snapshot of a documentary about the making of Beauty and the Beast. It was talking about how the designers were going about designing him, and one of them was talking about how. Like, they were having to kind of tread the line between making him look like a, a terrifying monster, but also someone who, like, has a, a genuine, like, human soul.
0: And something that could sell mm-hmm. toys.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who's not too hideous to to sell toys or be believable as a romantic interest. And I think they nailed it, honestly. They they did a really good job. And they didn't make him too, uh, look too much like any one animal, which is something that other, like, illustrations of Beauty and the Beast that aren't Disney have done sometimes. Like, they rely a little too heavily on one particular animal. This one was a nice little amalgamation. Um, Yeah, so... um, With that spell in place, uh, you know, the castle falls into disrepair. He hides himself away from the world. And on that note, we go to the first musical number of this movie, which is just entitled Belle, after our heroine, uh, which is uh, one of my favorites. Great little opening number... Kind of introduces uh, introduces her position in society. I guess
0: this musical number has some weird idiosyncrasies.
1: Idiosyncrasies? Id- Id- <laughs> yes. Do you want to tell the uh, tell us about them, Caleb?
0: Yeah. Uh, one, Gaston is just hunting in the middle of town. <laughs> That's against like twenty laws and a dozen health codes. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, and also, Belle isn't that weird. No. She's from God. out of town and she, she likes to read reads. They're like, she... what an odd girl That Belle reading yeah. a book
3: I know, and I know
0: talking and singing about how She doesn't like our town That's fair
3: Belle's I would understand if the song was like song That Bell, she's us. kind of a bitch She's kind <laughs> of a stuck up bitch
0: But she's like <laughs> she I don't
3: know, old I old mom's
2: relate mom's to her name. I grew up in Southport, Florida I know how you feel, Belle No,
1: I totally, I think that's part of what's so good about Belle, like, as much as it's a little bit, bit of a cliche, like, oh, you just don't fit in with everyone around you, it's a great character to to relate to if you're a kid and you do feel different like that, like, and, and for reasons that it's sometimes hard to explain, honestly, like, sometimes, you know, that that's an interesting thing, that's an interesting difference between this one and Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's pretty straightforward why Quasimodo would, would be reviled by people or not accepted by people initially, because you know he ugly. Yes, Caleb. Thank you. He ugly. But in in Bella's case, even the townspeople like acknowledge that she's beautiful. But that... the
0: man does she read those women <laughs> reading, getting ideas? Yeah.
1: Hence my quote. Um, I don't know. I do think it's a little bit like, okay, why would they think she was that weird? But on the other hand, it's pretty clear she like her 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 head is in a very different place from the people here. They're very, I don't want to say petty, but like, they're pretty concerned with the song is
0: the definition of petty. Yeah.
1: They're pretty concerned (laughs) with these very small, trivial material things. And she wants a lot more than that, which, you know, I think is something a lot of us can relate to. Would
0: you say she wants more than this provincial life?
1: Yeah. She wants (laughs) so much more than they've got planned. Um, so she goes through the motions and, and through the song we see that like She's a, a kind person She's got a big imagination But she, she has trouble relating to the people around her With a few exceptions Like the, the book uh, bookstore guy Seems pretty nice um, And obviously she has her dad Of course this is also where we meet Gaston Who is all like trying to talk her up <laughs> Has the great line That I said at the beginning
0: <laughs> So the, the only townsperson that bell seems to get along with is canonically the only other person in the town that we know for a fact can read <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. i'm just saying we don't know if any of the other peasants are capable of reading maybe they're just <laughs> jealous of bell yeah i uh... just <laughs> uh <laughs> well, i have a note a here that
2: <laughs> i have a note here that says uh uh in some shots gaston looks like a young bruce campbell
0: Oh my yeah. god. No, Bruce Campbell would have been an amazing casting yeah, for a live I action could see Gaston. That,
1: for sure. <laughs> um yeah, Gaston's an interesting character because it's like he honestly doesn't seem that threatening initially. Like he just kind of seems like your average, like, douchey jock kinda guy. But I do like the way his character is handled, where he, he seems kind of, like, more like a person that you could actually meet, but his his really monstrous side is revealed. And I guess that's kind of the point. Like, he's never at any point, like, a, a terrifying supernatural monster. He's just a man who who has something he wants and isn't going to be told no, essentially. like
2: um, He's the worst... I uh, like Disney villains. A lot of them can be like mustache twirling and like kind of cartoony, but I prefer that so much. I just every time Gaston's on the screen, I'm like, what a
0: dickbag.
2: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I will
0: agree with you in that I I'm not going to uh, say whether or not it's better or worse for a story. I personally prefer mustache trolley villains to the ones that every second they're on screen, I'm just like, God, I
2: hate you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because, like, like, you're supposed to. We're supposed yeah. to hate them. Yeah. They are designed to be hateable because they're despicable people, and that's why they the, they make good villains. Well, there, but <laughs>
1: there is, actually, honestly, there is something about the villains in both of these movies that is, like, a lot more hateable and, like, just unsettling mm-hmm. than... Some like I don't know, fucking Ursula or Malevolent, Malef- yeah. Maleficent, Maleficent or something. Like those ones are just your classic campy. Like they're just evil because whatever they just are. <laughs> These ones like feel very human, honestly, right. in a really disturbing way. But I, I, I don't know. I like it's that the a lot. humanity
0: to it. That it's because it makes us uncomfortable, right? That's yeah. why. Like we prefer the Sauron to um, Stephanie Stewart of Gondor.
1: Oh, Denethor. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> because no, Denethor, Denethor is a
0: a person. He is fallible. He is hateable. Yeah. Sauron is just a force of evil. That, yeah, it's a you force know, of nature. Yeah, or, or, or
1: like an evil, like a force of darkness, basically. These and ones, they don't make us yeah. as
0: uncomfortable,
1: right? Um, and that's that's a, the whole part of the whole monster versus man dichotomy, which we're talking about tonight. I, that's
0: a very good point. That is that's the whole point right here. It's yeah. not there are men. Who it's are not monsters. man versus a force of nature. It's it's. About the evil that lies within the hearts of men. Whew. That We're is getting specifically. said. Well said. <laughs> well said. <laughs> yes. that, that is specifically the point here.
1: Exactly. Um, anyway, so there's a fun musical number.
0: (laughs) Oh, yes, we're still on Belle.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, and that's also interesting because Gaston's introduction, unlike a lot of other villains in Disney, is not that overtly sinister. It's more just kind of like he's a douche guy. Yeah, he's kind of a douche. Right. And you're like, whatever. And he, he, uh... He increases in villainy over the course of the story until he's just straight up murdering, like, or trying to. (laughs) He's not successful, but he does make the attempt. Um, But we kind of see him descend into that, which is cool. Um, Anyway, so uh, Gaston's obviously hitting on Belle. She's not into it. He obviously doesn't understand the things she loves because, once again, the reading comes up. He doesn't understand. He's like, how can you read this? There's no pictures.
2: (laughs) Man. yeah. And so and so he tosses her book in the mud and then later he puts his muddy boots on it and then later mm-hmm. he's like tossing it up in the air and she can't reach it she's trying to get it back so leave the book alone I hate you
3: no the, the... <laughs> we should put that, Sorry. that quote in the description Yeah. leave the book alone I hate I you the...
1: well See, the book is representative of the wall between them, the thing that can't be traversed. The book represents the kind of person she is and what she values that he can never understand. Right, that and he that, doesn't want to understand.
0: That ends up becoming an important point of connection between the Beast and Belle. That is how he finally gets oh, through to Belle, right. is with his library. Wow. Hey, I, You know, yeah. I
1: always kind of knew that, but never really, like, thought it to the forefront of my mind. I'm on a
0: roll tonight, baby!
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. The The... Her love of reading is um, is the the motif that comes back, and it shows that the beast uh values the things she values, or he he understands what she values and wants to give her that. Whereas Gaston is just like, can we just get rid of this, please? Um,
0: right, like you need to cook and clean and watch after our seven boys.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, anyways, so, this is where we're introduced to Belle's father, uh, who, according to the town, is just as crazy as she is, uh, if not more so, um, he's an inventor, he has an invention that he's trying to sell to the fair, which is some miles away, um, it, uh, he ends up leaving with it to take it to the fair, and this is kind of where the real plot gets kicked off, uh, interestingly, not even with Belle, but with her father when he goes off to, to take his invention, But he gets lost in the woods. Um, The woods are kind of this recurring threat uh, in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, This is where (laughs) Chekhov's wolves are introduced. Not just
0: any wolves. (laughs) European wolves. I know, the scary kind.
1: Not our nice little Uh, American wolves.
2: (laughs) A quick question about uh, her dad's invention. It really feels like, because they never explain what it is. And it feels like they're like he's inventing something. It'll be a Deus Ex Machina later. <laughs> like, we'll we'll decide what it is when we get to that point in the script.
1: <laughs> it's like a it's like a wood chopping thing.
0: Yeah, it literally. It, yeah, it it chops logs and it exists to later on like free them from the the basement yeah I, I... <laughs>
1: which honestly i do kind of like that it comes back because it could just as easily have never come back and just been oh he embedded this thing like yeah
0: <laughs> yeah which i'd, I'd rather it circle back around then not at all but once again this is an extension of bell isn't that weird and that <laughs> oh there's this guy who wants to come up with something that'll make our lives better and easier he must be crazy yeah i know i'm I not know. a fan of that trope personally it's
1: but but come on small-minded villagers it's a thing it's, i
0: i'm well aware yeah, i'm just saying yeah, i'm personally yeah. not that much of a fan I of the know. trope I the same way it's 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 like it's like the whole it's the X Men thing all over again, like I discussed in Hercules. Like, oh, that guy's got a superpower. It's actually pretty cool, but oh, just because it's different, we gotta shun it.
2: Uh, but I'm gonna we need gotta you to be stop throwing X Men shade.
1: <laughs> hey, we we love X Men here. We we say all of this with love. I will um... come through this discord. <laughs> is gonna materialize through the screen and kick your ass for slandering the X Men.
0: Okay, just abject, like out of context, without knowing what Discord is as like a software program. I will come through this Discord as a pretty cool sentence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this Discord shall give rise to 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 my domain. Um, okay, so anyways, so um. Val's dad, Maurice, goes through the woods. The, he's pursued by wolves and ends up having to take refuge at this spooky gothic castle. Uh, love that kind of castle, gotta say. Ten out of ten. Best kind. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... He goes there, uh, pretty immediately is accosted by obviously enchanted objects. <laughs> Re- reacts surprisingly well to this. He starts um,
0: assaulting Cogsworth.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just, like, messing with him. Shoves
0: his Opening hand inside his inside chest. His chest. Like-
1: yeah, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cogsworth is not a fan. Cogsworth is, like, the stickler, and of course he... The, this comedic duo, you know, we keep encountering movies that have comedic duos. The
0: straight man and the funny guy. Yeah, yeah.
1: Cogsworth is, like, the the stodgy uh, stickler guy who is, like, we have to abide by the rules. The I, master can't find out. This
0: is, once again, a fat guy and skinny guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except, like, <laughs> the, the skinny good... guy is, like, the the funny, I don't care about the rules one, and the fat guy is, like, the remember what the master said. Right. <laughs> like... Um, and, of course, Lumiere is the romantic who is like, oh, we have to break the spell. We have it's to help It's because the he's girl. French
0: and Cogsworth is English. Okay,
1: that's actually a really good point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so they take him in. Um, they sit him down. They're, all the servants are really excited to have someone there. But uh, that is quickly cut short by the great entrance, uh, great first entrance of our beast, um and the music of course so like ominous and scary in this part the the lights get blown out a very horror adjacent introduction which i can i just say i absolutely love it when the love interest is introduced like a horror movie monster really adds some flavor um so yeah um he comes in, he is not happy that someone has trespassed, I guess because it's an old man and not a hot chick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: this old man can't help break my curse. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> hey, did the did the spell specify it had to be romantic love?
1: It, you know, weirdly enough, it didn't, but it did use a feminine pronoun, uh, which Uh-oh. is pretty heteronormative, I gotta say. Um, <laughs> what if he wasn't into that? Uh, because the spell said that... Um, if he could learn to love another and earn her love in return by uh, his 21st uh, okay. year. Okay,
0: yeah, I was about to say that if, if the Beast was gay, uh, his lover might be disappointed when the spell was broken if that is was into bears. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the actual
1: prince doesn't look very, very hairy or beast-like. He, he's actually kind of a pretty boy. Um... <laughs>
2: if the movie ended with Belle going, Uh! Oh, well, I'm just Um, gonna go.
0: I mean, Belle was clearly into it. I,
1: right. Can, maybe she was a little disappointed when he turned back. She was like, oh, well, that's not really what I signed up for. So. Well,
2: maybe she was relieved because maybe she like loved him so much that she was like, all right, I'm going to have to get real comfortable with some weird shit, let's go. <laughs> I
1: think that was more what – I think what the movie is trying to tell us is that at a certain point, she doesn't even see his exterior. She just loves him like for who he is, and so it doesn't bother her or, or make her more happy when he I, turns. I
0: feel like she never – I feel like that never bothered her. Like, from their first interaction, like, even when she called him a monster, it wasn't because of what he looked like. It okay. was because of his actions.
1: One time. That's fair. The very first time when she... Sees so, him when he
0: steps into the yes, light.
1: which we will get into. That, she does actually show some, some shock there.
0: But after that, she doesn't treat him any differently. No, she just no. talks to him like she would a person who trapped her in his castle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Um,
0: Stephanie, move us along. Well, yeah, we'll
1: get there in a second. So uh, the beast imprisons Maurice, uh, but his horse escapes. He runs back toward the village. While this is happening, Gaston, of course, has it in his head that he's going to marry Belle, um, and he he goes to <laughs> he goes to her house to propose to her. Quote unquote. He literally has a, a, assembled an entire brass band uh, with an accordion and everything. Uh, he he tells Lafu to strike up the band as soon as they come out of the house, uh, because he's so sure this is going to work, obviously. He goes in there. He starts trying to talk up Belle, and it's so obvious she's not into it, but I guess Gaston is so high up his own ass, he can't even tell. Um, he's talking about what their life is going to be like, you know, they're going to have a million kids. Um she she rebuffs him and finally <laughs> tricks him into falling out the door he falls in the mud ha it's funny shenanigans uh and i he... uh,
2: i do love how she dismisses him uh when she's yeah. like sorry
0: gaston i just don't deserve you and
1: it's <laughs> yeah <the> <laughs> exactly good it. no it's fantastic
0: <laughs> uh now that you've mentioned LaFou, i might as well go ahead and read my note here um i hate Lafu's face and it's <laughs> Probably because he reminds me of Billy from Billy and Mandy, and I hate Billy from Billy and Mandy. I don't even know what that is. So.
1: What's Billy and
0: Mandy? uh, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, which was a spinoff of Grim Con Carne, which was on Cartoon Network before you ever had cable.
1: Oh. Okay.
3: It's a
0: a good show. Billy is annoying, but it is a good show. uh, Voiced by Richard Horvitz, and you have done a dance number from Billy and Mandy.
1: Oh. Brains. Oh, yes. Okay. <clears> hmm. <throat> <clears throat> All right. So yeah, so Gaston has been humiliated and if there's one thing he doesn't like, it's being humiliated and not looking cool. Uh so he is incensed and he tells lafu "I will have Belle for my wife, make no mistake about that."
0: Yeah, and then he goes and pouts.
1: Yeah, oh, he does. <laughs> like he goes to the bar and cries to to his lackeys. It's, it's his
2: not even lack. like villain brooding. He's just kind of No, he's being literally a just bitch.
1: sulking. Um <laughs> yeah um after that happens we get Belle's reprise uh which is the reprise of kind of your I want song which I guess we're gonna classify Belle uh the the first musical number as the I want song because it it does kind of show her discontentment with where she is and how she wants more out of life uh I want more much more than this provincial life uh here it's reprised and she says I want adventure in the great wide somewhere I want it more than I can tell uh and for once it might be grand to have someone understand i want some i want so much more than they've got planned so that's where she kind of just lays it out and what's cool is that immediately after she gets done singing uh, Philippe, Maurice's horse, arrives, which signals to her that he has disappeared and she has to go after it's him. It's the call
0: to adventure. Right, exactly.
1: The call to adventure appears literally immediately after the I Want song, which Aha, is- I have
0: solved it. That's, <laughs> that's
1: nice the kind of turnaround
2: I, I expect from the universe.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wish that would happen to me. Come on, uh,
0: universe, where's my horse? Yeah,
1: exactly. So,
2: is it just me, or does it feel like this movie, uh, especially compared to the movies we watched last week, has more songs- Per minute, uh, um, yeah, than the other Renaissance movies, at least the ones we've watched thus far.
0: Yeah, both of these I feel have more musical numbers in general.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about Hercules is that it doesn't have that many, how do I put it, diegetic musical numbers? Yeah, because like, yeah. two or
0: three of them are taken up by the Muses. Yeah.
1: Like the only songs that are sung by actual characters are Go the Distance, uh, whatever Phil's song is called, and uh, I Won't Say I'm in Love. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how that, the screen time that the songs get actually stacks up, but it does feel a little more evenly paced maybe in this one and in Hunchback. Um, so anyway, so she gets on the horse, she rides to the castle, uh, discovers that, um, the beast does in fact have her father imprisoned. She is trying to figure out how to get him out when the beast appears, as we were talking about, um... He finds them. He basically tells her Marius is his prisoner and he's not going to let him go. She asks him to come into the light and sees that he is some kind of horrible monster.
0: Would you say beastly?
1: (laughs) Just a tad, maybe. Um, And uh, yeah, like we were saying, she does appear a little bit scared here, but it doesn't, you know, sway her resolve. She still says, you know, take me in in his place. and, of course, the Beast, because he's not an idiot, I guess, agrees to this and is like, oh, yeah, uh, old man, hot girl. All right, let me think about this for a second. So there we go. Um, he he tells his enchanted carriage, I guess, to take Maris back to the town. Which, uh,
0: an enchanted carriage without wheels is kind of creepy.
1: Yeah, it's like a spider.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> dug <laughs> I don't it. Like I like it. Know. It's very cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, it takes him back to the town. Bell's now his prisoner. However, there is this nice little moment where, um, he, he basically offers her an actual room instead of staying in the tower, uh, because, in, in part because he feels guilty that he didn't give her a chance to say goodbye to her father. Um, and that's kind of where we first get these little inklings of, you know, maybe there's some humanity hiding behind this, this exterior. Um uh she gets put in the room she's crying we we transfer over to maurice getting back to the town but first we get the musical number uh gaston um a classic uh which is basically a a bunch of terrible people at a bar singing about how much they love this one (laughs) douchebag Uh, which I'm sure we've all been he's, there.
0: He's the town jock. He's the guy who scored the winning dunk on the the, the, yeah. the, the opposing team in high school <laughs> and is still writing that. Yeah, And exactly. the entire town loves him.
1: Right. So he has this whole musical number where both he and the people around him talk about how great he is. Um, and uh, in the reprise... No, no, no. That's after Maurice shows up. Okay. So they sing about how great he is. Maurice shows up and is like, hey, uh, my daughter's being held captive by a horrible monstrous beast. And at this point in the story, no one takes that seriously. Everyone laughs at him. They tell him they're going to help him, but then trick him and throw him out in the snow. And, of course, Gaston. It's really sad. Yeah, it is really sad. He, like, comes in there and is like, can someone please help me? And they're like, sure, old man. And then just, like, toss. It's like, oh, well, that's nice, I guess. Um,
2: I hate everyone in this movie except Belle, her dad, and the people in the castle.
1: (laughs) I think that's pretty intentional. They're shit. And they are shown to be shit. Um but Gaston, of course, through this, season opportunity, because God knows Gaston is nothing if not opportunistic, uh, sees an opportunity to scam his way into def- basically forcing Belle to marry him. Uh, we don't really find out the extent of that plan until later, but it's pretty obvious he has one. Uh, yeah, let's, I'm, I'm assuming we're getting on. back to stuff with Beast and Belle. Yes. Uh,
0: so I'm just going to read my next note uh, before there's a major <laughs> shift. Um, I don't know what I was talking referring to specifically, but I wrote, "The Beast is a major dick." <laughs> yeah, <That's>, yeah, <laughs> that
1: is by design. That is as it should be. Um, yeah, he is. Uh, He's basically like a perpetual tantruming child who has not really been forced to confront the consequences of of his his anger and of his like acting out. And I gotta gotta say I really like this, Um, in fact, to the extent that I wish that it took him longer to grow out of it, because if you look at the timeline of this movie, all the stuff about him being a dick, like, from when Belle gets there to when he, he gets his act together, literally happens in one night. Like, it all has right, a
0: okay, one so night. There, this one, oh, this, wow. Belle's first night in the tower lasts forever. We have numerous scenes that are all technically this first night.
1: Yeah. I—that That is the one thing that I really am not a fan of about this movie. Like, that weird little timeline crunch there. Because think about it. Um, she shows up. He shows her to her room. He tells her she needs to have dinner with him. She's like, not a chance. Uh, she sneaks out later they sing be our guest to her she goes to the west wing we're getting ahead of ourselves
0: (laughs) but most of this movie takes place in one night a very very long night
1: yes Um, that didn't
2: even like register with me now and now i'm upset
0: yeah no when does what when does the first night end
1: After, after is it when she
0: leaves to go help maurice No, I feel a,
2: like time would have passed by then. Okay, no, they, well, there's okay. There's
0: be our guest. Then she goes to the West Wing. Then Beast confronts her there, and he tells her to get out. and right, she, she runs away. She gets out, she and then she gets it. attacked by wolves. Right, and okay. he
1: saves her. And it's pretty pretty clear that it's that same night that they have that conversation. Yes. And after that, he's nice, which is like, I get that the movie has to crunch the timeline, but I wish that it had been a little bit more of a process. Uh, yeah, but. Well, we'll get to that. Anyways, so, blah, blah, blah. He he wants her to have dinner with him because he's, like, he wants her to interact with him, but he has no idea how to actually do that the right way. Um, and God love him. The servants are really trying to help, but he keeps, like, blowing up at them. Uh, he ends up saying, if she doesn't eat with me, she doesn't eat at all. Which, like, sure, uh, that doesn't end up happening. Um she comes out after he's gone uh the servants are really excited she's there they have the BRS number no I made
0: I made a note about this so uh, Cogsworth is like no no but the master said and Mrs. Potts is like I'm gonna (laughs) feed her and I wrote wrote, Mrs. Potts said I wish a motherfucker would (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, Cogsworth is terrified of the master. Mrs. Potts is like, I'm not going to let her She's go like, hungry. Oh,
1: pish posh. <laughs> like, she She's like, what's the
0: master, p- master going to do to me, huh?
2: Like
1: <laughs> I'm a fucking tea. Break me
2: very easily.
1: Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, she she doesn't give a single fuck what he thinks. Uh which is great. So they basically are like, oh yeah, we're going to feed her obviously. Like I don't care what he said. Uh, except for Cogsworth who is a cop, but you know whatever. <laughs> yeah, um and-
2: Just quick, quick note about Mrs. Potts uh, and Chip. Uh, Chip's the only one of her children that talk, but it's very horrifying when she's like. Uh, go back to bed with the rest of your brothers and sisters and you see all these cup children just like I I pass know. out in the cupboard. And then
0: you have to think when they turn back, <laughs> are they still there? <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. Just imagine there's a cupboard full of 20 sentient cups. Oh
3: my! God. And it's just
0: like the bottom two shelves of this cupboard and then they all get turned into children. <laughs> children? <Jesus>.
2: It's terrifying. <laughs>
1: anyway, and they all come like pouring out.
2: Like... Oh my god. <laughs>
1: Yes. Stephanie, move us forward. Yeah, let's move forward. (laughs) So, Be Our Guest happens. All the servants are happy she's there. They feel like maybe things are going to actually turn around for them. Uh, After that happens, Cogsworth and Lumiere want to take Belle on a tour of the castle, but she has her sights set on the West Wing. Why? Because it's the one place she's not supposed to go, and girl, I relate. Like, (laughs) um, Basically... The Beast told her you can go anywhere you like, except the West Wing. When she asks why, he just says it's forbidden. And of course, my girl is like that. That means I have to go there. Um, <laughs> she asks Cogsworth and Lumiere, "What's he hiding up there?" And they're like, "Oh, he's not hiding anything." And she's like, "Well, then it wouldn't be forbidden." she kind of manages to (laughs) elude uh, Cogsworth and Lumiere because she she mentions the library and they're like, oh yeah, 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 let's go to the library. And then they go off down the hall not even noticing that she's not following them. Uh, She sneaks off, goes to the West Wing, of course. Um, And I really like this sequence. I like how, you know, classic Gothic it is. Um, I really like the kind of, I guess, symbolism of like the the really dark architecture and the way everything about the castle has been like kind of twisted and slanted to reflect, um, you know, the monstrous creature that he's turned into the enchantment that lies over everything. Uh, she goes into which, w- what I guess is his bedroom, I guess, even though it's been torn up kind of <laughs> irrecognizably. Um, and there's this great moment where she sees, uh, a portrait on the wall that's been ripped up by by claws obviously and she like replaces one of the pieces and sees like his face or she sees the face of well she probably doesn't realize it's him yet but i don't know maybe that's not really clear. I, I
2: think she, i think she does because they made a very strong point of focusing on the eyes
1: that's, the, uh, that's true and, that, and then that the comes next back later. scene
2: you see, there's a shot where beast's eyes are the main focus so yes
1: like,
0: oh okay
2: she which is
1: it re- it's really cool, yeah. The eyes being the windows to the soul, like she sees the that. Eyes she are sees... the
0: windows to the house. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. And she, this is where she starts to see his humanity, um, and of course, at that moment, she is distracted by the the magical rose, which, of course, she doesn't know what the hell is going on. She's just like, "Hey, a cool rose. I'm gonna touch it." Um, she starts to do that, and of course. <laughs> is interrupted by him finding her and scaring the absolute shit out of her, which finished- yeah, uh, uh,
0: before a beast change of heart, every situation could have been handled way better than it oh, yeah. was.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it he- could just
0: be like, Hey, this is, this is very important. This is part of a spell that's like been placed upon me and everyone in this castle. Please <laughs> don't touch it. I don't know what'll happen, but instead yeah. he's like, get out.
1: Yeah. He freaks out because you he- don't know
0: what you've done.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Where's Rachel?
1: <laughs> like it, he hasn't learned any kind of emotional regulation in part because he hasn't been in contact with other uh, other people very much
0: other than the dozens and dozens yeah, of servants in this castle yeah I know trust who are me. technically human beings
1: for the purposes of the narrative the lower classes don't count I'm just oh kidding. hey I'm just oh.
0: you know this one. That is another similarity. That that is two similarities this movie shares with Lion King. One, mm. the lower classes don't count as people, mm. and two, our uh, male protagonist does not have any contact with a uh, female until well after he entered puberty.
1: <laughs> These movies are about <laughs> incels, okay, Caleb, uh, <laughs> or volcells would it be? You know, what? not important. Um. <laughs> so so basically, he. He flies off into a rage. She is like, all right, I'm, I'm GTFO. Uh, she takes off. And (laughs) the thing about this part is that it makes it pretty obvious she could leave whenever she wanted to. She literally is just like, promise or no promise. I can't stay another moment. She gets on her horse and takes off and it's like, oh, so you could just leave. Like you weren't actually a prisoner at any point, (laughs) but you know, whatever. Movie's got a movie. Um, Immediately after she leaves there is this great moment where he sees what he's done and he's like fuck me like <laughs> i'm an i'm an idiot which you know we have all girl's been. That my only
0: chance to break the curse. Yeah,
1: exactly. No, yeah. I mean basically he's like oh right the whole reason i'm doing this I, th- I just right it up. God,
0: the curse. I can't believe i forgot.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> right, Damn. that little thing. Um so she takes off into the night, and here uh, Chekhov's wolves are fired. Sorry, uh, that this metaphor isn't really applicable. Because Chekhov's
0: boomerang wolves.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Chekhov's gun has to be initially unfired and then eventually fired for it to count as such. Uh, the wolves are just a, a menace this just one comes over back and over. Yeah, exactly. Like
0: a boomerang.
1: <laughs> yeah, first they were after her dad, now they're after her but this time, she's trying to get away from the castle instead of seeking refuge there. Um, so they come after her. Uh, no good reason that she should have survived this long, but you know she does. As even after going into ice cold water, which Caleb mentioned, probably should have. Yeah, the moment they entered horse. that river,
0: she and Philippe were dead. But, <laughs> but they just kind of get poor out. Poor horse.
1: Yeah, I know. Poor Philippe. He's seen some shit. He's gonna have PTSD about these wolves for the rest of his horse life. Oh. Uh, I know, perfectly. But um, so here is, of course, the the very important turning point where, in order for the monster to, you know, begin his journey to humanity, he has to change how the heroine sees him, which we're also going to talk about in the Hunchback of Notre Dame, and
0: which, funny enough, this act of heroism requires him embracing his beastly side Ooh. because as a human, he wouldn't be able to do this.
1: That's a really nah. good point. Hey, right, because uh, there's this... Look
0: at Caleb.
1: Yeah, I know, Caleb's <laughs> out here. Yeah,
3: firing because...
2: on all cylinders today, bud. <laughs> for no good reason either. <laughs> <laughs> by, by all accounts, this shouldn't be happening.
1: No, I love the I would the like moment. to point out... Go for it, go for uh, it. Oh, sorry,
2: I was just going to say, I'd like to point out that me uh, stumbling on the word cylinders for saying <laughs> firing on all cylinders is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> anyway
1: moving on i I love the moment where yeah it is like a like oh this is a straight up like horrifying monster like because like the the wolf starts to jump at her and then like you you see it be caught by something and then it like slowly turns around to reveal his like horrifying like snarling beast yeah and like
0: she's a little bit afraid of him even though he is there to save her
1: right which is cool i love that (laughs) um (laughs) uh, excellent dichotomy here um Right, and of course, and, and to be fair, he while he is able to fend off the wolves, they really fuck him up. Um, and we actually see some blood here, which is kind of, whoo <laughs> we really went there. Um, and also, it's not really clear how a tiny little bell gets this huge monster on her horse.
0: <laughs> she, carefully.
1: She, she, yeah, very carefully. She somehow does. Um, the horse helped. That's true. Philippe was like, all right, I'll do you a solid, babe. <laughs> um, <laughs> even though I hate this guy. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he he passes out. Basically, uh, Belle and Philippe get him back to the castle. The next we see she's cleaning his wounds. And <laughs> this is, like I said, the last time we see him being an asshole. Because after this, he's pretty much just a chill guy. Uh, they have a great little quarrel, kind of, where he he's mad you know that she was poking around where she didn't belong but he she basically is like yeah well but you were the worst asshole here like this was definitely no. this your is a fault. good
0: scene i love this this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie is yeah this quarrel right, right. here. right and
1: i, I mm-hmm. kind of wish we got to see more of this little like quarrelsome dynamic they have but it's great for this one scene uh god what is he he like uh you know
0: he's like well well you were yeah, she's uh, like, if
1: you hadn't frightened me, I wouldn't have run away. And he's like, well, if if you you shouldn't have been in the West Wing. And she's like, well, you should learn to control your temper. And then he's like, ah. okay, yeah. You <laughs> then, got me there.
0: <laughs> you got me there, guy. <laughs> <laughs> I chalk it up first community reference of the night.
1: Yeah, uh, we knew Boing. there was going to be one. And, of course, there's that nice little moment where after he's like, okay, you're right. I was a dick. She's like, but thank you for saving my life yeah and, it's a good scene yeah it's great right it, it really sells the dynamic between these two characters where like they they kind of start off at odds but they are willing to see things from the other person's point of view i think um and and so there's a lot of growth that happens in this scene despite it being short and of course the servants are like oh hell yeah like <laughs> things are really shaping up
0: um, All right you know okay I'm actually going to genuinely go back to community for a moment. Oh. Um, talking about it out loud, it feels to me uh, similar to the the foosball episode, um, oh. but like Jeff and Shirley's confrontation where they end up having to be like, I think you're a perfectly fine person. So, so are you. Are you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that- Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> No, that is a good conversation, yeah, and it, it like, pauses while they're still in anime mode and (laughs) then switches back to just them as live-action people. You're right, it's very much like that, where it's, like, people who, like, have a lot of anger and, like, want to direct it at each other, but then they realize, like, oh. They're
0: still both empathetic people who understand where the other person's coming Mm -hmm. from despite their anger.
1: Exactly. Good shit. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. And this is part of why the romance in this movie works so well, is because we actually see these little, like, very human interactions between them. Uh, Where they have to kind of work past something Right,
0: and this scene is very important Yeah Uh, Without this scene, nothing after this makes sense Like, we couldn't have, um What's the, something there that wasn't there before? Mm -hmm. Is that the name of the song?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much the next scene
0: That, uh I mean wow a scene in a movie is important to the next scene in the movie <laughs>
1: <laughs> imagine coherent narrative structure I know right so after this yeah there's that nice little musical number where they're kind of starting to 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 see each other differently um and this is where it, it's not all out but it's kind of like the seeds of romance are being planted and everything um Oh, gosh. I'm not really entirely sure about the sequence of events here. But basically, they're falling in love. It's like a little montage of that. Also, Gaston <laughs> is planning to uh, to have Belle's father locked up in an asylum and basically use that as leverage to force her to marry him. So that's fun. He also
2: With the Overseer of the Asylum being voiced by Tony Jay, who we will get to later. Uh, yes. Uh, but I would I like... like- you Love. beat me to it, Justin. Like to point out, <laughs> I'd like to point out that his character's name is Monsieur de Arc. I know. And I hate it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. I mean, okay, Tony Subtle. J has a great voice for playing I, yeah. a character that's essentially the crypt keeper, <laughs> uh, but not <laughs> <Excellent>. dead. <laughs> You're
1: right. So that's his big plan. Of course, he doesn't know where Belle is. He doesn't really know that she is off like in an enchanted castle falling in love with the
0: Beast. Right. But... He doesn't even know that she's not at home.
1: Right. Because um, he
0: tells lafu to wait outside the house until both of them either come home or leave the house. It's never really which.
1: clear how long he was stuck there, but it was a while. <laughs> um. And of course, you know, yeah, this whole time, uh, uh, like the Beast gives her this Amazing fucking library, like wow. Uh, blew my mind as a child, still kind of does.
0: There's no way there were that many books in the world at that point in time. <laughs> <laughs> the printing press is only like 200 years old, I know, okay? I know,
1: I know. Um, and all that, and of course, there's the classic uh, Beauty and the Beast number. Where it's, uh, for some reason, Mrs. Potts singing, but it's fine. We'll, we'll it's give it a because it's Angela
0: Lansbury, yeah, and if we have Angela Lansbury on our payroll, by God, we're going to use her. That's
1: fair. That's fair. She has rights. <laughs> Angela
0: um, Lansbury has rights. <laughs> Damn yeah, right this, she does.
1: This beautiful CGI and 2D animation blended sequence. Um, yeah, and it's just... Uh,
2: what? Uh, I was just going to say, I... Uh... I don't know how much time we need to spend on it uh but obviously that dancing sequence is gorgeous.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. So
2: yeah. well done. Like obviously the ballroom
0: enough. is CGI, but they're hand mm-hmm. animated. Mm-hmm. But when you you start looking at the details like they have reflections on the ballroom floor. Mm-hmm. Like are the reflections hand, hand animated or are they CGI? Are they both? I can't tell. It's it's, it's so impressive. well done.
2: So well done and the uh, camera work is fantastic beautiful sequence anyway
1: yeah and it's nice because it's just kind of like there's technically not a lot of plot relevant stuff happening until after this but it's just a nice like oh hey look at these these characters like actually kind of coming together and you know he's like covered with fur but he has to wear a suit like i don't know it's cute um and of course after this is a big turning point fittingly because um she says she wants to see her father again. That's the only thing keeping her from being happy is being apart from him, and um, he actually enables her to do that. He shows her the magic mirror.
0: Which Stephanie pointed out, uh, I, can, why would why did the enchantress leave him two enchanted objects? I don't know. Usually, story wise, it seems like it would just be one. Two? I, I don't know, man. <laughs> That seems awfully generous. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's the Rose and the Magic Mirror. I know, it, it's kind of unnecessarily cluttered, but we'll allow it because both of them have significance. Um, the Rose is more symbolic. The Magic Mirror is more of a plot device, but but still. Um, she sees him, and she sees that he is... <laughs> it's really sad. He's trying to get back to her, like, he, going through the woods. He's, like, basically freezing to death and sick and coughing because no one from the village is going to help him, like... Uh, and so she is concerned about him and this is where uh, another one of the beasts, like, big character growth moments happens where he, he agrees to let her go, um, pretty much without hesitation, honestly. Like, he, he's like, well, then you have to go to him, like, you have to help him, um, and it's this really nice moment, um, and, and yeah, and he basically lets her go knowing that she's his only chance to be saved, uh, but because she means that much to him,
0: if you love someone, <laughs> let them go. And if they
1: don't come back, they were never yours to begin with. But she does come back. Hey,
0: thank you, Stephanie, for completing it. <laughs> what if
2: they get hit by a bus? Oh
1: no! <laughs> well, then you go track down <laughs> the or, bus or and murder it. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's uh, a big step. So for uh,
2: when when she goes and gets him and takes him back to their cabin. I was like, okay, one, do you want to take him back to the cabin in the town where everyone hates you, or do you want to take him back to the castle where it's warm, there's a lot of room, and you have a lot
0: of help? To okay, take care that's of actually a really good
1: point. I never really thought about
0: <laughs> that. That did not occur to me either, Justin.
1: bell what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's true because she has the beast's favor now. Like she, they're they're tight. She could have just brought Maurice back. It's not like the God, beast would I be. I thought like, she I'm was beat smart. up smart. Guy, like. And so yeah, why didn't she Whatever. Um maybe she thought he her father being uh older in years would just be more comfortable and less confused if he was in his own home. I don't know. Um Uh, regardless, she she takes him back. Um of course LeFu was lurking in the form of a snowman
0: <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> He goes to tell Gaston.
0: You know, that's funny that lefou was hiding as a snowman when in the beauty and the beast live action movie he was played by josh gadd who played uh, a snowman in oh frozen shit.
1: worlds within worlds, worlds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so many community references <laughs> okay oh my god
1: yeah so regardless he goes to tell gaston and um so Chip stowed away, and he's asking Belle, like, why she left. Not really important. Why is Chip here? I don't know. He's here. Um. So basically... He snuck
2: out for the plot.
1: Yeah, yeah. Plot raisins. Uh, Gaston comes to the cabin and apparently brought the mob with him, or just brought a bunch of villagers with, like, pitchforks and torches for some reason to arrest, like, one tiny little crazy dude. Grab
0: your torch and pitchfork. Yeah. All that nonsense. Um,
1: and so... This is where things really start building to a head. Um, uh, he tries to get her to come out. Uh, he tries to pull the whole, I won't throw your father in an asylum if you marry me thing. She's like, not a chance. Um... Oh, gosh, how do they introduce the concept of the beast? Like, does she just pull out the mirror? Yeah, she she pulls
0: Nobody believed them, and then she pulls out the mirror, and she's like, fine, I'll show you.
1: he was like, obviously your father's crazy, and she was like, my father's not crazy, and I can prove it. She gets out the mirror, says, show me the beast. And, of course, unfortunately, uh, the, the moment that the beast is caught in is him, I guess, raging because he has thrown away his one chance at being saved... And the townspeople are horrified, and of course Gaston sees an opportunity here, uh, even though he's too dumb to see it earlier when Maurice told him about the beast, uh, and is just like, "Oh, okay, so this beast, right?" And then he stokes all the villagers to be to be scared. Right, like okay,
0: the first time Maurice shows up talking about the beast, I I assumed. Gaston would be like, "Hmm, I can humor this crazy old man, win his favor, and then get his permission to marry his daughter, right? Or get him to tell his daughter to marry easy. me." No, nope. It's got to be way more difficult than that.
1: And he could have made himself look like a hero. He could have made himself look like a hero if um, he was just like, "Oh, there's a beast. Well, I'm gonna go fight it and rescue your daughter, like all that kind of stuff." But he didn't for right. some reason. Right. Like he, so he didn't do that but now he's like oh well now that I've seen it with my own eyes I guess it, now I'm gonna do it um, and so he has his, his second little villain song where he, he's making all the townspeople afraid of the beast he gets the mob worked up to go find him uh, b- tries to imprison Belle and Maurice but they escape with help of Maurice's invention <laughs> which chops down the door <laughs> Um And, yeah, meanwhile, the townspeople have this very on-the-nose uh, song. <laughs> they literally have a line that says, We don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us, and <laughs> which I love. <laughs> Not subtle, but, you know, sometimes you just got to put it out there. Um, Do I have
2: something on my nose?
1: <laughs> they're going back through the woods to try to attack the castle, and... Kill the beast, as uh, Gaston repeatedly says. Um, and of course, Bill and Maurice are trying to get back to warn him before that can happen. Um, and, you know, there's the whole comedic, like, uh, the servants are fighting the henchmen. Yeah,
0: this whole sequence is very Looney Tunes. Yeah,
1: we are returning to the segment of the show we like to call Looney Tunes Looney bullshit. bullshit. Um, and that is what is going on here. <laughs> Um, which we will be revisiting in *Hunchback of Notre Dame* because both of these movies love to juxtapose some pretty dark, dramatic stuff with L- Looney, Tunes Looney Tunes bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> um, yep. Very typical of the Disney fan. Renaissance. <laughs> 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 Thank you, just. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so, so yeah, they're they're all getting uh, beat to shit by the servants. Um,
0: Some of these dudes just are definitely dead. Like, the, the wardrobe breaks the marble floor? What is she made of? <laughs> Pure
2: rage.
1: Oh my god. Yeah. Right, uh, and Lafu technically gets a sword up the ass, which isn't really ever addressed after that, but definitely happens.
0: He never sat quite right after that.
1: That's true, that is technically the last time we see him, I'm pretty sure, so... Uh, you know, um... He's
2: lucky because Codsworth was also holding a pistol, so he got it, <laughs> <That> <laughs> he got it easy. even worse for him.
1: <laughs> Jesus. Um, so the servants pretty handily beat the, uh... The, Everyone
0: but Gaston.
1: Right. While all this comedic stuff is happening, the servants are beating the villagers back. Uh, Gaston apparently thinks he is on a casual hunting trip. It just has his bow and arrow out and is going to hunt the beast. Uh, who is just despondent and doesn't care to fight back because because Bell's gone. He doesn't see any point in living, which is ugh. um So he, he he shoots him with an arrow, but even even then the beast is still just retreating. Like he he doesn't want to <laughs> he doesn't want to deal with it. You know, um, it's it's <laughs> fine. Uh, and once again, a great little moment where. Um, you know gaston is about to to kill him essentially and um bell comes back and um the beast sees her and that kind of inspires him to fight back um like whereas pretty much before that he was just i guess just gonna die it's fine um
2: <laughs> yeah uh... well you gotta think it- it's not just that bell's gone it's like the one person I've ever loved in my life is gone, and because she's gone, I'm gonna be stuck like this forever, so, you know. Oh,
1: yeah, he's, uh, That's just the rest of his life now, which might actually be pretty short, (laughs) if things go according to Gaston's plan. Um, yeah, it, he, I mean, he must have thought that pretty much the only right choice he ever made in his life was gonna cost him, was gonna cost him his life, you know, which is, whew, uh, but but fortunately uh, she does come back um and uh of course <laughs> gaston as is typical of disney villains ends up getting killed as a result of his own <laughs> machinations um he uh,
2: so before that happens um beast when Belle comes back and she calls out to beast and he's crawling up and they're about to touch hands he gets stabbed in the side by Gaston, and you mentioned the blood yeah. uh, when during the wolf fight. Th- I was surprised when he pulls out that knife. How much? Yeah. came out. I was like, "Damn, Disney!"
1: Yeah, there was. <laughs> when just... You go
2: for it in this era. You go for it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was just blood like trailing down his side, like that. That was definitely a guy who got stabbed. Like woof. Um,
2: (laughs) That was definitely a guy who got (laughs)
1: stabbed. Well, okay, okay, okay. Okay, look, I'm just comparing it to, like, when Meg gets a literal pillar falling on her her body in Hercules, and she doesn't even look a little bit beat up. She's just kind of like, I'm lying here dying gracefully when her entire midsection got crushed by a marble pillar. Like, whatever. Anyway. Moving on. uh, Yeah. So... Right. You think, you know, well, we don't think, but Belle and the Beast think for a second that Gaston's out of the picture and they have their nice hopeful reunion, but oh, psych, Gaston stabs him, but then pretty easily gets just tossed off into the abyss. Um, Has the classic- (laughs) A
2: popular
0: trope.
1: Yeah, yeah. The classic Disney death of a That happens in both
0: of these movies. That happens in- three of the four movies so we've done them this month so far well it
1: happens because it absolves the protagonists of actually killing someone essentially like it that way that the antagonist fails because of their own designs and not because the protagonist actually like made a decision to murder them um, uh, yeah well a, a, oh especially because there there is also the moment where uh, the the beast could have chosen to kill him. Like he has him by the throat. And of course, because Gaston's that kind of guy, he's like, Oh, please don't kill me. Um,
0: Even though I've been trying to kill you. Exactly.
1: It's right. Right. uh, Frollo actually almost does the same thing, which we'll get into. Uh, But uh, the beast basically like spares his life, tells him to get out, which is also very Lion King. Uh, He doesn't get out. He ends up dying for it and sucks that just sucks you know <laughs> um he falls to his death uh bell once again showing her inhuman strength uh <laughs> pulls the, the beast back up on the balcony just casually she those blows. books are heavy yeah I, I, I know i know she just she's just got it um there's of course the the sad scene where you know it looks like he's going to die um She finally says, I love you, but it looks like it was too late, uh, because, you know, the last petal fell at an ambiguous time, uh, you know, uh, but then the transformation begins because since she did love him and he loved her, that breaks the spell, uh, there's the classic transformation scene, which has been ripped off in other movies, including, I'm pretty sure, Shrek does it with Fiona. And we, like, yeah. shows, like, her hands and feet, like, transforming uh, uh, with they, show, light. they
0: animate a surprising amount of this transformation sequence.
1: Yeah. I really like it. I really like yeah. how smooth the transition is.
0: Uh, I half expected it to just be he gets enveloped in his cloak and then emerges from, nah. from it like a cocoon. Nah, they but no, they show out. most of it. No.
2: It, but it's so funny, because it's, like, it transforms, and then when it's, like, like, when it's a human foot, it's, like, light is shooting from my toes. <laughs> <laughs> it happens every time. Like, it's out of his fingers, out of his toes.
1: What, you mean you don't shoot beams <laughs> so, of light out of your feet and
2: There was hands. light showing where the uh. sun don't shine. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Maybe I need to go see a doctor <laughs> nope. or an astrophysicist. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. I really like it, though, because I really like how much it actually shows you the nitty-gritty transition from monster to man. Like, I feel like that's relevant. It's better that it shows um, him him actually actively transforming from one form to another instead of just being like, first he was one, now he's another. Now, it's all about the in-between. It's about the the interconnectedness between uh, monstrosity and humanity. Um,
2: it's uh, it's the Disney version of the gross werewolf transformation.
1: Like. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. <laughs> yeah, Beauty and the Beast, but make it have more body horror. Um, <laughs> so he transforms into this guy with. Really He's just some goofy guy, hair. you know. He's just a guy. He's got really piercing blue eyes, though, so she knows it's him. Um, her and him have the exact same hairstyle, just in different colors.
0: And they definitely don't look like siblings. <laughs>
1: Uh uh-huh
0: i love when they're like
2: hugging she does like this and he's like it's me she does this like tussle of his hair to be like okay it feels the same i I can still work with this yeah
1: i love how (laughs) her eyes kind of narrow and she's like
0: "Eh." "Bella's a hair girl
1: (laughs) hey same girl same um but but yeah but she sees his eyes and she sees the same eyes um that the beast had like that was his humanity shining through and it's it's more fully embodied now and um, you know the then of course the the castle is transformed back to its initial beautiful state. The gargoyles are transformed into angels. Uh, you know all the the dark parts are transformed into beautiful glistening gold. Very uh, like the healing rain, but instead it's like the the healing transformation. It, no,
0: I'm sorry, it is still kind of healing rain because it is raining. That's true. It and then it just it starts raining rain. like magic instead of regular rain. <laughs> it
1: rains magic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and of course, all the servants are transformed back to people. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much the Does end. Does Chip
0: have like a hole in his head?
1: Oh God, I, <laughs> I don't know. Not really made clear with the little. Also, not that
0: we've seen. Also, Mrs. Potts <laughs> is way too old to have a kid Chip's age.
1: Well, she had twenty other ones.
0: Let first. alone twenty of them. Uh, yes, <laughs> I, I'm. I just assumed that she like takes care of the children of the other servants in the castle. Because Mrs. Yeah. Potts has clearly been postmenopausal for a number of years now. <laughs> I don't
1: know. I'm just saying. I don't know why, if he wasn't her biological child, he he would still take on her similar form. Like she's a teapot and he's a, a little teacup.
2: Yeah, maybe she had a fire sale. Just got a lot out of the way.
1: <laughs> a, going,
0: a going out of business sale. Yeah, oh
2: there we go. That's what it is. Jesus. <laughs>
1: And I don't mean uh, to be insensitive, uh, <laughs> but yeah.
2: Uh, Parks reference.
0: Yeah, there we go. Uh, we're racking them up. <laughs> Any other thoughts on Beauty and the Beast? Uh,
2: so the the first two acts of this movie are like they're fine, they're cute. Uh, the third act is where all of the stakes are in this movie, yeah. and it's fantastic. Um, I think it, I love. Yeah love it <laughs> it culminates
1: really well because Gaston's plan is sort of building throughout and it's happening con- happening concurrently with uh, Belle and the Beast getting to know each other so at times you can kind of forget oh right all this is actually happening it's building up to a head um, but then it does kind of come together and, uh, and it, yeah it makes sense like sometimes the two plot lines can feel a little disconnected from each other but but overall, I think it really works. I I love the drama of it. I love how it, once again, uh, literalizes the comparison between the man who's fighting the monster and the monster who's trying to become a man. Um Just, yeah. And it, it has a lot of comparisons to be made with Hunchback, which, once again, we'll get into. But... <laughs> Yeah, but uh, no, I really love this movie. Uh, I I love the the art style. I love the the gothic influences, the rococo. uh, (laughs) Yeah, uh, the the castle looked
2: better when it was (laughs) monstery. What'd you say? Uh, the castle looked better when it was all monster-y. Yes. Like, it's all pristine. No, I, I like totally there agree.
1: Is a, I prefer it that way.
2: There is a hilarious, when the gargoyle turns into, like, an angel or a cherub or whatever it does, and it's looking right into the camera, <laughs> it made me laugh out loud. I will post it on our Twitter. I'll, like, print screen the frame. <laughs> the
1: angel looks directly into the camera like Jim from The Office. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I really love the gothic look of it. I love the kind of weird classic gothic heroine moment of Belle going into the beast's lair because that's like that's the moment where she is she is peering into his most private and desperately concealed soul like she mm-hmm. she opens the room and it's this, this horrible disheveled wreck of what it once was you know it, it, it used to be like a royal bedchamber but now it's like he he's torn it beyond recognition and and that is like pretty pretty one-to-one metaphor for for uh the soul the psyche um she's seeing his portrait she's seeing the person that he is inside she's seeing the rose which represents um his life basically it represents um this existence he has under the enchantment and she wants to touch it she's drawn to it So, um, it's very, um, I know on our last episode, I talked about, um, Eros and Psyche. It's kind of like that because, you know, Psyche was drawn to Eros' true form. She wanted to know who he truly was. She wanted to see his, what he truly looked like, but he was afraid for her to do that. Um, he didn't want to truly be seen by her, but this is her truly seeing him. Like, she's seeing him as a beast, but also seeing him as a man. And, um... I don't know. It, there's it's really layered, like for a, once again for a for a kids movie, um, and, and I really love it. I think it really sells, really sells the themes that we're talking about tonight. Um,
2: anything
1: Absolutely.
2: else? Guys? Yeah, uh, just because, <laughs> uh, just because I did it on uh, on the last two movies, uh, and it's something Disney did so much uh, around this time period. I'm going to very very briefly talk about the uh, home video games that came out uh, for these movies. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Because this one blows my mind because Beauty and the Beast had not one, not two, not even three, but four video games come out uh, around the time of its release. Two of which are action platformers for a romance movie. Uh, And then the others are uh, platformer puzzle game hybrids uh in the 90s were a wild time
1: (laughs) you know uh my favorite video game adaptation is of pride and prejudice (laughs) 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 love those action platformers based off romantic stories uh but (laughs) i am give us more honestly (laughs) uh, (laughs) i'm really sad that i missed that you know like that like 90s little like shitty computer video game thing (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I wish I had gotten to be part of that
0: <laughs> I still want to play the Toy Story game that was released for the I think it was the SNES and the Genesis that I've seen the ad for it so many times but I've never played it
2: Uh, feel free feel free to say no uh, but I'm going to say it on mic so Uh-oh. it'll hold you guys to Uh-oh. it one day when it is safe for all of us to be in the same room again, we will get on Twitch and we will do an all-night live stream of awful, <laughs> too good Disney.
1: <laughs> oh my video god. That yeah. actually sounds really fun. I would like to do that. That's like an aspect of childhood that I missed out on.
2: Get ready for your SNES and Sega Genesis fix for the rest of your yes, life. Yes. And some for the PS1.
0: I'm down. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Cuz uh Tarzan was on the PS1. I don't know what else was. I had Emperor's New Groove and Bugs Life on the PS1. And Hercules. There's a lot. Yeah. We digress. We'll
2: let you know when that happens, audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if it's <laughs> good. If it's
1: good. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. Um so should we move on then
0: yeah. to the next segment? Well, uh we'll cut to break and then we'll be back with Hunchback of Notre Dame
2: all right get ready to be sad (laughs) hi everyone justin here thank you so much for checking out our show you may notice some audio issues during these early episodes as we're recording them in separate locations during quarantine it is our intention to record in person once it's safe but for now we work with what we have please follow the recommended guidelines wear your masks stay safe and enjoy the rest of the episode
1: All right, so we're back from the break, and this time around we are talking about the Hunchback of Notre Dame from
0: 1996, rated G for tobacco depictions,
3: <laughs> <laughs> which was, that was
0: uh, the oh only God. the only note under the rating on Disney Plus. I'm sorry, tobacco there are depictions.
1: Multiple layers Ooh. of humor to this, like. <laughs> Like,
0: it, not even intense situations no, or,
1: it's deb-
0: <laughs> or or animated peril. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> of
0: all the <laughs> stuff and,
1: that happens in this movie. And I'm just
0: going to go ahead and say it to get out of the way. Do you know what the only tobacco depictions in this movie are? The goat smokes a pipe. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. In several, <laughs> but In scenes when Esmeralda is like disguised in in the street. She, like, wears a cloak and, like, the goat is the face under the cloak. The goat smokes a pipe.
2: (laughs) That's right. And that's... My god. That's
0: that's every tobacco fiction in this movie.
1: Okay, you know what? That is so typical of, like, the way American (laughs) rating systems work. Like... Like we know, some darkest hell stuff happens. to This, but someone smokes that pipe. Oh my god! <laughs> like, the kids can't like, see. Like it's that. okay
2: if you want to kill a woman because you're horny, yeah. but don't you dare touch that tobacco.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't smoke that bad marijuana. Oh, um. <laughs> yeah, we don't
1: know what was in that I eat pipe. Cigarettes.
0: Um, it's two Gus Johnson references <laughs> for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun. Honestly, it's just funny to me that this movie is rated G, like, at all. I know. Like, are all of them? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they are. How? Disney movies (laughs) didn't start being rated PG until maybe Tangle? What?
0: Uh, That sounds like a Google search to me. uh,
1: Let me say, uh, Disney animated movies, most of them were rated G up until up until a g rating was no longer a desirable thing for a movie for some reason um
0: it's not profitable
1: i get it's ratings are so just stupid with the way they work and like basically pg-13 is like the the ideal rating i guess for for box office stuff but apparently like like r is too hardcore but pg and g are seen as like kids stuff it it's weird
2: um, PG-13 is where most of the money is made. Yeah
1: For for some reason I guess It's just like most of the blockbusters Are PG-13 Because like, they're just adults mm-hmm. enough to not be Really for kids but also you can Take your kids at who knows Caleb are you looking up something right now Keep
0: talking I'll, I'll cut in <laughs> if I find anything relevant
1: Okay he's looking up uh, Which ones I think are PG and not Anyways the point being th- This movie is a little dark uh, I don't know if you if you know anything about *Hunchback* and *Notre Dame*, you, you you probably already know that. But, <laughs> it, uh... Uh, uh,
2: in preparation for this episode, Stephanie and I were talking a little bit uh, yesterday. We were talking about the uh, tone issues, which we'll get into. Uh, and I said it's because this movie has to keep reminding itself that it's a Disney
1: movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Which which kind of leads into some of the tonal issues with this mo- with this movie that I think. Um, is one of the main things that people criticize about it. It has to actively reset itself to Disney mode a lot of the time.
0: That is a criticism I would level at all four of the movies we've looked at so far. They tend, to, they, they have a tone problem in that the shift from the serious, dramatic stuff that the Disney Renaissance movies are lauded for back to your uh, typical what is expected from a disney movie mode are are very dramatic.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's definitely fair. I I agree. Um and I don't care for it. I I recognize that without the the light aspect they wouldn't really be classic disney or whatever but but with most of the disney renaissance to be honest i'm i'm here for the dark stuff like i'm here for the the serious stuff i'm here for the right but of course
0: you and i are also 26 that's true that's true (laughs) absolutely but i i I was gonna say i i don't
2: mind it so much in most most other movies but because of the subject matter of this one and the themes yes. that it heavily dives into,
0: yes, that back and forth is so jar. also the the movie. marketing for this movie was very light hearted, um, because they did not want to l- let on to what was actually happening, um, because they were worried that nobody would go see it. And Lindsay Ellis goes in in depth on this. Um, yeah, we have
1: another Lindsay Ellis. Yeah, video of course. Co- yeah, here. we're gonna link
0: that in the description. <laughs> Um,
1: Actually, you could just as well recommend her video on Beauty and the Beast, where she takes down the stupid like Stockholm Syndrome Does she argument. also have a
0: video on Beauty and the Beast?
1: I'm pretty sure. Is she... it the
0: My Monster Boyfriend episode? Well, that
1: also... oh God, we gotta plug a lot of Lindsay Ellis videos for this one, but... No, the one... Uh,
0: <laughs> I mean, we stand.
1: Yeah, yeah no, definitely, definitely. Uh, but the one where she's talking about Beauty and the Beast, and she's basically addressing the Stockholm Syndrome thing that people like to casually throw at it, and talking about how it's not really applicable. Anyway, we, we, we'll figure this out. We'll, uh, we'll link some stuff.
2: Uh, so, ju- just this is the organic time to talk about it, I guess. Uh, the little quick video game trivia, since we're talking about the marketing. Hmm. Uh, the only tie-in that came out to this was a Game Boy and PC collection of mini-games that mostly focus on the goat and the gargoyles. <laughs> of, of course. course. For of obvious. Course. obvious reasons.
1: Obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> it <laughs> this movie is trying very hard to tread that line I think Yes, yeah. okay
0: as as totally extant from the rest of the movie as the gargoyles are, they are not that present
1: yeah i I'll, I'll agree with no, Caleb on this they're, I...
0: they're not as intrusive as I expected them to be,
1: yeah. They most
2: And with that said, I will say Jason Alexander's Disney role was squandered on this one. <laughs>
0: uh, he is He does uh, a good job. He uh, does a good job. I'm not going to say he does a bad job, but his role in this movie is just uh, so
1: annoying. I know.
0: No, I absolutely agree and I love the man.
1: But but to be fair, yeah, like Caleb said, it they are mostly there to act as a sounding board for Quasimodo because he is trapped in this tower and a lot of the time he doesn't have anyone to talk to. So we need a way to know what he is thinking. Um, and that's where the the classic sidekick characters come in. And of course, uh, as I have bitched at Caleb a lot about, I think that the Gargoyles would have been a lot less of a problem if the movie hadn't insisted on saying they actually exist in the real world of the story. They sh- The movie should have kept it so that it was pretty clear they were just figments of his imagination that he had invented due to his loneliness and his, his need to... Talk with someone about what he was feeling. I-, I think the movie should have kept it at least ambiguous. So, like, are they real? Are they not? But the movie at one point, like, actually has them like fighting some soldiers. So it's just like, what? Yeah. Was that necessary? I, I don't. I think that breaks the immersion a little bit. But whatever, not important. Um. Okay, so Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, as most of our listeners probably already know, it's based on the novel by Victor Hugo, though the similarities are, uh, <laughs> rather sparse. Um, interestingly, Victor Hugo's two most famous works, being The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Les Miserables, uh, both have been adapted into pretty successful musicals, um, and, uh, both have been, you know, tweaked a little from their original point, uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame probably more so, uh... As I'm sure everyone already knows In the original novel Pretty much everyone dies Like without exception
0: Right Victor Hugo wrote this Basically as a piece to uh, What was it he established It was like the concept of of, uh, Historical
1: Historical preservation Yeah
0: preservation and restoration Of of, uh, significant structures and monuments yeah architecture Um, is
1: like shared history right
0: he basically wrote the hunchback of notre dame as a piece on like why it's important to restore and save the the notre dame
1: once again Lindsay (laughs) ellis talks about this in her video i would definitely recommend it if you're interested at all in that um and of course it does go into the hunchback of notre dame story as well but it gives some interesting insight into why victor hugo actually wrote the story and what he was trying to say with it uh because uh, you know in the story like The parts of it that the movie actually draws from, you know, it's much darker. Um, Honestly, Quasimodo's not nearly as sympathetic. Uh, He kind of just seems more brutish, but, like, in a tragic way, I guess. Uh, Esmeralda dies. Phoebus is a total asshole. I think he's the only main character that lives. Yeah. Even though he's a total asshole. Uh, Quasimodo just directly kills Frodo. Frodo... (laughs) Frollo. Frodo. Yeah. No. <laughs> I know. Trust me. My, my mouth always wants to say Frodo when I'm talking about Frollo. Uh, he tosses Frollo off the the topmost part of the... Hench- the Cathedral Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Yeah.
0: Frollo sounds like a candy. Am I thinking of Rolos? Rolos,
1: yeah. Yes, you are. Thank you. Um, But, uh, you know, it. I got to say, uh, as an adaptation, I like that Disney was able to make this into a a happy or a hopeful story and take out the really grim stuff without making it not dark.
0: Right. You know what I mean? Because this is, like, the only version where, like, Esmeralda doesn't die.
1: Yeah, even in the Broadway adaptation of this movie, uh, Esmeralda still dies. Like, I I was listening to it and I was really enjoying it.
3: Interesting. But
1: she, she still died and I was like, do we need that? Was it important for her to die? Like, I think they were trying to bridge the gap a little more between the book and the movie, which I understand, but I wasn't a fan of that decision, um, which I'm sure doesn't have anything to do with the fact that Esmeralda is my favorite Disney character and I didn't want her
2: to get killed, but. You uh, you guys know so much more about the like history um, and uh, backstory of this movie. I'm like, yeah, I saw it a few times as a kid.
0: No, no, I promise you it's entirely <laughs> because of the Lindsay, Lindsay Ellis video we keep plugging. <laughs> at, at least on my part. Ah.
1: On my part, it's just because I, I, I love the movie. Yeah, so Stephanie, I'm, I'm assuming it's a
0: combination it. of factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the,
1: the musical is really good. It also has like Esmeralda actually singing the song Someday, which is in the credits of the movie which is a beautiful just uh is it an r&b
0: song in the credits yes
1: and which is why caleb's never fully listened to it yeah that's
0: why i've never heard it
1: but it's a beautiful song the melody is amazing the the lyrics are just heartbreaking um it's about it's basically about hoping that even when you're gone and you won't be able to see it that one day the world will change for the better and like you know people will be treated better than they are now
0: also on on that thought I don't know if this has been elaborated on before, but I feel like we should explain to our listeners why I haven't listened to it. Because almost every Disney Renaissance film ends with an R&B song playing in the credits, and I just do not enjoy 90s R&B. That's all there is to Caleb it.
1: Caleb has no soul.
0: <laughs> I have no soul. I have no heart. I was born in the 90s, and I have no, har- I have no ears connected to my heart. <laughs> Which is a uh, very loose community reference, so just add that to the list. To be um, fair,
1: most of the R and B covers are sung by very white people for some reason. Like uh, Disney was like, "We'll let you have an R and B cover, but it better be Celine Dion singing it." Right. <laughs> 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 um. For yeah, for some reason, they're like all oh, like that. Uh huh.
0: Okay. Let's let's get into the no, actual movie now.
1: Um, That's okay, a pretty decent so introduction. Can we talk about how this is, in my opinion? the best opening of any disney movie just like this musical sequence i am obsessed with i love it
0: it's definitely intense uh,
1: yeah that's why i love it
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah uh, i was just gonna say my uh first note is i forgot how dark this movie starts I out oh He murdered a woman on
0: the church out of a hate crime. (laughs) Yeah, and then he was going to murder a baby out of a hate crime.
1: He was fully ready to drop that baby down a well. Like, he was going to do it, too. Um,
0: Uh. This,
1: I absolutely love the opening. Um, I love how it sets the dark tone right off. Um, I love how Frollo is introduced. Like, no surprise, he's my favorite Disney villain um, I love how he's introduced to the the notes of the Kyrie Eleison. Um and then when he starts pursuing uh, Quasimodo's mother, uh, it transitions to, to the Dsire. DS yeah. Oh wow, I love it. Um, so ominous. least really sets the tone for his character. In this,
0: I'll go ahead and address this in this uh, in this opening sequence where we're introduced to Clopin, mm-hmm. who is effectively our narrator for the story. Um, yeah
1: semi omniscient yeah
0: his his role and his level of omniscience is unclear throughout the story, yeah, because before the story starts, he knows the tale, and then during the feast of fools, he seems to kind of know what he's doing, like he's the he he is causing events to happen. And then when Quasimodo meets him in the third act, he s- treats him as a stranger. So his his level of awareness of the story is just inconsistent through the movie.
1: Yeah, I I am in yeah. to agree.
0: I love
2: I love his early appearances, but once they end up uh, in the oh my god, I'm blinking the, the, court, of the court of miracles, court of miracles, court of miracles from that point on i'm kind of like he's eh yeah
0: but his early appearances he either should
1: <laughs> not have been incorporated into the plot or should not have been the narrator like
0: i'm gonna go with the latter yes. i would have preferred him as an omniscient narrator yeah i, li- I like Me the too. fool in that role
1: yeah that's true because that's kind of like the archetypical role um especially for the archetypical role of the fool introducing the the subversive idea of the uh um, who is the monster and who is the man? Like, yeah, that's the whole point of it. Um, but yeah, I agree. I don't think he should have been an actual character in the story doing things. Um, we'll get into that sequence because I have a lot of questions about that whole thing in the court of
0: miracles. Yeah, the court of miracles sequence is very questionable. Uh, um, yeah,
1: I, I still s- sometimes kind of struggle with the point of that sequence. You know what?
0: Let's let's go ahead and also establish something here. Uh, this movie uses outdated and racist and bigoted terminology why don't towards we, a
1: wherever the movie uses the the G word why don't we just say romani well no
0: i'm not going to say okay, it okay, i yeah. just wanted to establish <laughs> yes. the for for our listeners cuz this happens in the exposition yeah. that this movie uses outdated racist and bigoted language towards a marginalized group of people Yes. Um, consistently throughout the whole movie, and it is painted negatively. Right. Um. Well. Definitely. Okay. Sorry. Uh, the racist feelings and bigoted feelings towards those people is painted negatively. The usage of the word not so much because Quasimodo still uses it in everything. Yeah.
1: It's more um, just used as a word.
0: It's the N word in Django. It's that. <laughs> yeah.
1: level just of... like being tossed around all the time. Yeah. That was. Are... Funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> are you saying Disney was just looking for a reason to have someone say it? Oh, my God. <laughs> Disney wants to say the
1: slur is so bad. No, I think this word wasn't known as well as a slur at the time. No. But no, now this was almost
0: 30 years ago. Right.
1: But, but now we but, know. That yeah, we're is. in
0: 2020.
1: Yeah. Uh, so we'll just be using Romani in its place, um, which is the more accurate word.
0: Yes. I just, just wanted people. to go ahead and establish that. Yes. Um, yes.
1: Um, yeah. So, all right. Do Okay, sorry. Yeah, we were talking about the, intro. We're in the expi- uh s- sorry, speaking of speaking of the Romani people, here is another kind of gripe with the movie that I have. It isn't really a plot thing, but it's more of just a like a real world kind of complaint. Uh Quasimodo's parents are are dark-skinned, like they're they're Romani people. They so why ha- isn't he? Yeah, they have black hair, they have brown skin, but he is a pale person with red hair that is never Explain in any way,
2: yeah. Is he? I didn't even think about it. Yeah, is
1: he, I he, I parents, his out. parents are Romani. <laughs> that like it is actually that's like,
0: explicit, right? Frollo tells him,
1: right? And that is never brought up in the story. Uh, it only exists basically to have Frollo have a reason to come upon them, uh, kill his mother <laughs> I, and so adopt him.
0: He might be hideous, but hey, at least he's white passing, oh right? Oh
1: my god. Well, that uh, honestly, like it. I don't understand why they had him be of Romani descent. And if they were going to have him be of that descent, why not have him look like them?
0: Right. So the, in this opening sequence, we'll, we'll lay it out step by step. Uh, there are people attempting to find sanctuary in the city of, of Paris. Are they trying to escape Paris or get to Paris?
1: They're trying to get into Paris. They're trying to
0: get into Paris. Um, they are accosted by Judge... Is it Judge Frollo? Judge Claude Frollo. Judge Claude Frollo. Uh, who is uh, attempting to implement, institute law and order on this city. Um, what's the line, Stephanie? He sees corruption everywhere oh, but within. Yeah.
1: And he saw corruption everywhere except within.
0: Thank you. Um, mm. And so he he uh, chases after these people who have just arrived in the city. Uh, the I think the man is arrested. The woman runs away with something she's carrying. He assumes it's something she's stolen because he's racist. Um, He shoves her down on the steps of the Notre Dame. She falls and hits her head and dies. Yeah,
1: he just kills her. Um, Essentially. And
0: then he finds out the thing she was carrying was a baby. And in the moment where he looks at it and says it's like a demon or not of God, I just kind of assumed he was being racist. Um it's not until it's revealed later like a, a scene later that it's Quasimodo. I just assumed it was like, oh, it's just a he it's a Romani baby. baby. He was, was Yeah, he what? saw a brown baby and was like, "Oh."
1: Yeah. Oh. Honestly, I'd believe it of him. <laughs> like
0: that's in character. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a little unclear. Um okay. Also in this okay. I love this conversation between Frollo and the Archdeacon. Yeah. Uh the Archdeacon is uh, a perfect character in my eyes, like he is, he is, a, he is a good man. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, he, he pretty much yes. saves Quasimodo from being dropped down a well. Yeah, he
0: and uh, he tells him, like, that you have already spilled this innocent blood on the steps of the church, and you're now going to commit another, a second murder. Uh, and <laughs> I, know. I, I wish I could remember the exact lines because the way he accosts Frollo. The exact language he uses. You never can
1: run from nor hide what you've done from the eyes, the very eyes of Notre Dame.
0: Oh, Stephanie, thank you for se- giving me a perfect segue into this. <laughs> I absolutely okay. love this Ooh. scene. He is then... There is a whole sequence where he is noticing the eyes, the many eyes of no- the, the statues, the sculptures of Notre Dame. And there is a whole sequence where he is stared down upon and... Uh, confronted by the eyes of these these men, these men who, these kingly-looking men, are, it is a series of statues known as the Kings of Judah, who are biblical figures uh, who have been dressed as kings, who are staring him down. So Frollo, who sees himself as a godly, um, as a godly man, is not only is he being accosted by the archdeacon of the church, but then is being stared down by these biblical figures and kings of old.
1: Also, um, the Virgin Mary and, and the Christ child. Yeah. Like there's literally a shot where lightning flashes and like the, the Virgin Mary and, and the Christ child's eyes are like staring down at him. in like this really horrifying way. Yes. It's like, Oh,
0: um, it's interest- really cool. I, Fucking love. this I movie. know. <laughs> no, <me too>. um, <laughs> interesting note: the uh, the kings of Judah were beheaded during the French Revolution. The statues were
1: really yes.
0: And I didn't uh, know that. Uh, someone saved the heads they and hid them in their home. Um, and they were later donated to mu- to a museum. So they were beheaded during the French Revolution, but the heads were saved and are now still like available to go.
1: That is so fascinating. Yeah, I guess we have a history of so, destroying statues during our. I know. Uh, so of if people. you went
0: to see those, uh, the Notre Dame now, those statues would be headless.
1: What? That's cool. Or um,
0: or they've been restored. The longer- I don't recall. I think yeah. I think they might have been restored, but for a while they many many years they were headless.
2: While we're on the topic of uh, statue toppling and things that are happening in our uh, real world right now, uh, this movie about where the villain is this powerful, religiously-fueled oh, yeah. maniac uh, yeah. uh, is super uncomfortable to watch in
1: 2020. Oh, it's, it <laughs> remains relevant. Like, it, it never goes it out relevant. relevant. It exactly. is
0: perpetually relevant. Exactly. Okay, I'm...
1: <sighs> we could talk about this forever because it's so good.
0: I um, I wrote this note based on, I think I wrote this during God Help the Outcasts, but it was very bold of Disney to be so blatant with their use of religion in this movie. Yeah. Like, many, many you. people have yeah. talked about this, yeah. but...
2: Uh... Yeah, no, especially at a time where, like, uh video games, kids' cartoons, anything, especially if it was, like, an existing property that was being shipped over, so many religious, like, references and imagery... Were edited out, yeah, um, because it wasn't deemed appropriate for an American audience, and Disney was like, "Hey, fuck that!" Right, like this was not <laughs> too long after the
0: Satanic Panic. Yeah, um, well, and and mm.
1: Frollo, he he literally says witchcraft, like he part of why he's going after Esmeralda is that he is accusing her of of being a witch and of, you know, essentially being in league with Satan. And this is, you know, the, the Satanic Panic was still a thing at this time. Um, it, right, it was this was on not the too long wind, after. But it, it was still going on. Um, and also, uh, <laughs> of course, I, I will give a slight caveat here. Uh, Disney altered something that I think is significant when it comes to the religious aspect. Oh? Um, I believe in the original story, um, Frollo was the archdeacon. Uh, Frollo oh. was a religious official... If not the archdeacon, I know he was a religious official in the original book, uh, but this one has him be in the more secular role of judge and You're makes right. the actual religious guy a good person. So I think maybe they were yeah. trying to cushion the blow a little. Yeah, bit. no, I was,
0: I was going to say that I. It's very interesting to me that. Okay, so one, it's impressive that they would be so blatantly religious, like showing actual Catholic sacraments and, um, you know, showing the archdeacon going through the church, chanting and waving a, a censer. Yeah. Um, but the religion is not shown to be the villain here. Right. Um, it's clearly Frollo and his misguided.
1: No, it's his fanaticism. Ideals. Yeah, it's it's yes. taking his own obsessions, his own. Uh, failure, his own failings and up uh, twisting them to to fit. His, right, his it is it is very
0: bold to, of a of a essentially a kids movie to have a villain who his uh, motivation is religiously inspired, um, yeah. but that you know it's it's his own twisted personal version of it using it yeah. for his own gain. But like the religion itself is not not the villain. Um, I don't know. It's, it's very complex for a kid's movie. It's, it's yeah.
2: No, it's the all too true thing of people using religion as a thin veil for their uh, hate. and big right. It's
1: through the, the fervor of religion, the righteous fervor, I should say the conviction that everything you are believing is a hundred percent true it is when it is put through that any terrible human passions and impulses can become justified
0: right and we do a very good job of establishing that with from the very beginning because the archdeacon tells him that he has spilled innocent blood and frollo says i uh she ran i i I pursued i am guiltless right
1: great word here because um part of what makes Frollo so interesting as a villain is that when you think about other Disney villains, what do they usually want? Uh, they want to be powerful. You know, maybe they want to marry someone who doesn't want to marry them. They want revenge, that kind of thing. With Frollo, it's a lot more complex because when you think about it, what does he gain from, from taking Quasimodo as his charge? You know, what, how does that benefit him? It doesn't, but... He does it because he is so heavily weighed down by this weird concoction of religious and actual genuine human guilt and shame. Because he, he, he killed his mother, and he, he was going to kill him too. Um, and he is genuinely afraid that his soul will be damned because of these sins.
0: Right, it's, it's literally a line in the song that for, for the first time in I don't know how long that he, is, he wor- was worried for, for his immortal soul. For the
1: first time in his life of power and control, Frollo felt a twinge of fear for his immortal soul. I'm
0: so glad we have her. Bethany, <laughs> <laughs> look, at, look at you. <laughs> I
1: have I have all these songs memorized because I love them that much. It's so convenient. Yeah. <laughs> but Which makes it such an, in, an interesting motivation for him as a villain because he doesn't really stand to gain anything from his machinations, except you know, this weird, um, I don't know, religious fulfillment. I guess now,
0: he does say perhaps, um, at, at some point he yes. would be of use to him, which
1: does end up coming back, um, later on. We have spent a lot of time on this
0: part. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it. No, this. I, I agree, shit.
1: this is all super interesting. Um, anyway,
0: I mean, par- pardon me for, for, for <laughs> no. saying that. The, the words that we're saying is good shit. No, That's for I you g- to decide. But I, I could talk
1: about this movie for hours. You don't even want to know. Um,
0: How dare we talk about movies on our movie podcast?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um,
0: so we'll, we'll move on from the exposition now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, Stephanie, what comes after the exposition? Okay,
1: so that was all the prologue. So basically... Uh, this is how it came to be that Quasimodo was essentially raised by Frollo, uh, which is an interesting relationship for our oh, protagonist yes. and antagonist to have. Okay.
0: we'll talk about that for a moment. <laughs> so, we, uh, look, we'll just talk about it now before it comes up, because I'm... Okay. Quasimodo refers to Frollo as master. Oh, uh, Frollo was instructed by the archdeacon to raise Quasimodo as his son. Frollo even refers to this. He tells Quasimodo himself that I raised you as a son, but he still insists that Quasimodo referred to him as master.
1: Right, which is kind of fucked in its own way. It is. Way. It's
0: one, it's it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, whenever you're, we are watching a movie and someone has to refer to someone else as master, it's always very uncomfortable. <laughs> um.
1: Has weird overtones. Look, man.
0: Unless it's a fun kink yeah, thing, it's never. Exactly. Yes, thank, just I think I almost said that, but uh, thank you for saying that. Um, and so, I will always say the thing. That's <laughs> the Justin guarantee. <laughs> we'll make a T-shirt. I yeah. will always say the thing. Um, but so, even though he raised Quasimodo as a son, he still has distanced himself from him because Quasimodo is not allowed to call him father. Oh yeah, no, even no. though that has effectively been his role,
1: right? Right, he doesn't. He 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 treats him as if he were a servant slash maybe like a protege, but he he never would treat him as a son because that's too familiar. Like that would be bringing himself too close to this. That would be treating creature. him like a human. Yeah, exactly. Um,
2: yeah, the the first time they're seen together, and he comes up with the tray of food. He makes Quasimodo like Quasimodo knows he'll be in trouble if he doesn't. Put the chairs there, and arrange a certain right,
1: right.
2: assortment of things on the table.
1: And- right, so he doesn't treat him as I a father him. by any means, <laughs> even though he likes to present himself in that light. Um, yeah, so, right, we we are uh, back backtracking ever so slightly. Um, We're...
0: Introduced to Quasimodo as an adult.
1: Right, it skips forward at the ends of the bells... The end of the bells of Notre Dame sequence, which, by the way, absolutely love the music's incredible. Oh,
0: okay. Alan Menken also did the music on this, and it's very obvious. I, I <laughs> this music, sh- this movie shares a lot of musical similarities with Hercules, and that Alan Menken has a fondness for brass sections and drums.
1: Yeah.
2: And I'm here. For yeah. It. No, I'm
0: totally here for it. It it shares a lot musically with God, Hercules. Every time I, feel. I listen
1: to this, uh, the that high note that what's his face who voices Clopin hits. Every time I'm like, "Holy wow, that's yes. amazing! I love it." <laughs> On
0: uh, the bells of Notre Dame. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, incredible! Yeah, no, and I love how right. it
1: segues into Quasimodo ringing the bells. Um, it just puts you right into the story. Ba, ba, ba. <laughs> exactly, ba, it's fantastic. Ba, ba. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is where we're introduced to him. He he's stuck in this tower. It's very Rapunzel. No, you know? I'm stuck in the tower. <laughs> Uh, he wants to get out. He wants to join the outside world. He can always see it from from his higher vantage point, but he can't be part of it. Um, okay. Does he
0: talk to the Gargoyles before? He talks to the Gargoyles before Frollo shows up, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. We established that there is a festival going on in the courtyard of the Notre Dame called the the Festival of Fools, which happens every year and Quasimodo wants to go down there because he he's not allowed to leave but he 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 sees all the people having fun and he wants to join this first conversation that he has with his gargoyle friends is so generic it feels like it was written by an algorithm
3: <laughs> i that's how <laughs> i felt watching this
0: bit. the his conversation with the three gargoyles it was just so color by numbers i was like dear god like if i if i fed a bunch of scripts of movies with like comedic sidekicks like into a into a bot it would it could spit this out
1: it's not the best one <laughs> it's not but great it does have the function of establishing that quasimodo wants to get out and wants to join the festival and join the people down below no
0: it does but everything the gargoyles say has been said by every other character <laughs> like them
1: yes the, the gargoyles so by are the best part. <laughs> um, <they laughs> basically, I don't know. I know. What are you
2: laughing at, Justin? Hey, take a drink, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's up?
1: The gargoyles are acting as kind of, I don't want to say the devil on his shoulder, but they are encouraging him to bend the rules a little bit.
0: Right, they're his sounding board. Exactly. Okay. Okay, except the moment. <sighs> okay this works if the gargoyles are purely in his imagination. Yeah. But they're not. But the the moment nope. where he says but I can't because Frollo would be angry if I even asked and all of the gargoyles go oh, right. I, that is totally a uh, illusion breaking moment for me because i'm like ah this is such a constant like there's no way that like these characters would have forgotten that thing yeah
1: that's
3: that true this has
0: to be a he is imagining a world in which this is possible and then reality comes it, crashing back down yeah, on yeah you
1: have to remind the audience and so it's kind of a fourth wall breaking thing. right
0: it is it is clearly there for the audience um yes. even who may who may not remember or realize the situation between okay quasimodo and frollo but it's still uh, i don't know i'm just like we've be- we have spent the last several minutes establishing that frollo was a hard ass and he was uh, tasked with raising quasimodo so having to have our side characters be like oh yeah we totally forgot about your hard ass father figure <laughs> who makes you call him master yes
3: yes
2: uh just briefly while we're talking about the gargoyles a little fun fact is the uh the one that's an old woman's name is laverne but the uh two male gargoyles victor are and victor hugo. and hugo yeah. Yeah.
1: and i think laverne <laughs> i didn't was catch that somehow like it was like this the town he was born in or something I mean, it's they call him Vern.
0: what he says they call him verne i'm pretty sure but laverne refers is, a, himself is, as Vern. is a lady she refers to herself as yeah. Vern.
1: Uh, i don't know that's probably got something to do with it uh feel free to, to yeah add if we us, figure it out we'll, <laughs> you know. tell us why we're wrong um <laughs> Anyways, so yada yada.
0: Yeah, Uh, moving on beyond ranting about the gargoyles.
1: He wants to go join the festival, but right as he's trying to work up the nerve to do it, Frollo arrives. Oh no! Uh, This is where we kind of see how their dynamic is. There's the fun little moment where they're reciting the alphabet and he's saying all these, like...
0: Abomination. Hardcore. Blasphemy.
1: (laughs) contrition, (laughs) Damnation. Damnation. Eternal (laughs) damnation. Eternal
0: (laughs) damnation. Damnation. Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: Uh... It was hilarious, but deeply sad. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. That's, that applies to a lot of this movie. Um,
0: <laughs> hilarious, but deeply sad. Yeah. Four stars, says Roger Ebert. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He basically lets it slip that he wants to go to the festival. Frollo, Frollo is was like,
0: very quick to pick up on oh this. Yeah. The moment Quasimodo says festival, Frollo immediately says, you're thinking about going to the festival, right, eh? Because,
1: because Frollo knows that that's what he wants and he's got to jump on it. He's got to nip it in the butt.
0: I, you know, it's I have a moment later on about Frollo being terrible at his job, but in this moment, Frollo is very good at his job. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> he can tell when people are lying. Has to come in, in handy for a judge. Um, yeah, and, and it's it's not 100% clear why he doesn't want... Why he's so insistent that Quasimodo not uh, join the yeah, rest of society. The
0: only thing I can assume is that he doesn't want anyone else knowing that quasimodo is his charge
1: no i think that's it i think it's shame i think he sees quasimodo as his his most secret sin that he has to hide away um and and he doesn't want that to be revealed
0: to the people hide it under a barrel
1: yeah exactly right And, and if quasimodo is allowed to go and live a full life out in the world then that's like showing his sin to everyone that's letting it take on a life of its own and he can't do that it has to be under his control Um, and Frollo trying to exert control over everyone around him is a recurring theme, uh, in this movie, uh, which we will definitely get into even when it comes to the other main characters, like Esmeralda and Phoebus, like at all times Frollo is trying to control them.
0: Yeah. So Frollo has told Quasimodo that he cannot leave because he is ugly uh, <laughs> uh,
1: that's it. Yeah. He is
0: he, he is an abomination.
1: But they have the song.
0: Yeah, they have a whole back and forth.
1: And Furla tries to make it like you can't go out there because, because the people they won't understand you. They'll reject you. They're bad. And here is good. Like
0: yeah, this is your sanctuary. Is that? Sanctuary. See, this time it was I who remembered the exact <laughs> words. <laughs> I, absolutely, <laughs> I
1: absolutely love the recurring motif of the sanctuary and how it takes on different meanings ah, over the course of the story. It's a
0: good theme. Yeah.
1: Yes, it's great. Um, so
0: Frollo leaves. Yeah. And what happens? Quasimodo immediately decides, eh, yeah, I'm just going to go it. anyway. <laughs> I don't think we've... We don't, <laughs> in, in a different movie... We would have gotten a scene where Quasimodo was, like, fighting with himself. I was wait, like, wait, no, I shouldn't does, go. Does he does he? a
1: little bit. Okay, does he... we're wrong. I'm wrong. He, well, because Frollo sings about, like, stay in here. And then Quasimodo sings about how he wants to be out there.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. We skipped, I skipped the whole musical number. Yeah, yeah. This is where we get one day out there. Right. He, Which I personally feel is a rather weak musical number. I think the chorus is musically strong, but the verses are just <laughs> not Alan Menken's best work. It's kind of weak.
2: Uh, I uh, I will say this about it: I forgot it. Now. <laughs> I <hate>
3: y'all. <laughs> anyway. No, okay. Yes.
0: So we get one day out there. Hiroshiimoto just he, he essentially sings that if if I could spend one day amongst the people as one of them, I could live the rest of my life in this tower.
1: Not above them, but part of them. Yes. Yeah. I, he
0: he could spend the rest of his life in Notre Dame without worrying, right. without a care, because he had spent one day out there. Wow! Did I? Oi, verse. <laughs> 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 Make a Hercules reference. Hey, yeah.
1: And hey, this is the first of two different uh, musical numbers that uh, sequence between Frollo and Quasimodo. Uh, And kind of, like, do a little, like, duality thing with them that represent, like, them as two sides of a coin.
0: The duality of man.
1: The duality of monster.
0: (laughs) Oh, Oh. the duality of monster and man.
1: (laughs) Um, No, but it's true. Um, So this starts with Frollo singing about how Quasimodo should stay in here And then Quasimodo singing about how he wants to be out out there. there. So it's in here versus out there. Later on in the movie, which we will get to, it goes from Quasimodo uh, singing about uh, heaven's light, which is what he feels when Esmeralda has come into his life. Yes. Versus Frollo uh, calling it hellfire. Hellfire.
0: Oh, it's even the same song. Yes, exactly.
1: Oh my Um, God. I absolutely love how this is done and it's done twice. It, it I feel like that gif it.
0: of, like, Vince McMahon, like, oh! Okay.
1: So after this song, Quasimodo, he, he decides, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna join the Festival of Fools. While that is happening, we are introduced to our other two main characters. Um, we are introduced to Phoebus who is made captain of the guard by Frollo after being summoned from The Wars, with a capital T and W. The Wars.
0: <laughs> Do we know what wars these are? I'm no. sure if we did a little Googling uh, we could find yeah, out. Yeah, but... that's
1: true. He just refers to it as The Wars.
0: You know, what? I'm going to Google it. You guys talk.
1: Yeah, go for it. Um,
0: Hold on. Ju- <laughs> <laughs> Justin Oh Justin you don't have exclusive rights to this, you know. I mean
1: it doesn't affect the story so it doesn't really matter. Shut up,
0: Stephanie.
1: I'm just This saying. is important. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's so important. Anyway, I'm just going to keep talking.
2: The Italian War of 1499 through yeah,
1: That doesn't Italians. help. <laughs> That's that-
0: France I'm was sorry, involved. That gives us as much information as a Knight's Tale when they say that uh, what's his name is the head of the Free Companies. <laughs> the Free Companies. <laughs> like he's been called back to lead the Free Companies. Like, okay, uh huh, <laughs> cool. What war? That's the war that was
2: happening, <laughs> the Italian War. Okay.
1: Anyway, point being. That's what
2: it's called, the Second Italian War. <laughs> i'm going to murder y'all Definitely move us along
1: the point
2: not all of them have titles like the great reckoning (laughs) (laughs) what do you want
1: anyway (laughs) aggressively getting back on track Uh, so you you are welcome this is where we (laughs) Okay, 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 okay. All right, this is where um, we are first introduced to Phoebus, voiced by Kevin Klein. Uh, and Caleb has never seen any movies okay. with. Kevin I've Kline, never seen
0: him. a ke- single Kevin Klein movie. I don't what? think, like, list one. Justin, I bet you I haven't seen it. Um, but there were certain, there were a lot of parts of his his line deliveries that reminded me of other animated uh, characters. Um, like some parts reminded me of. Um, Oh, the black-haired guy in El Dorado. I don't remember which one he was. Tulio. Reminded me of Tulio from El Dorado. Um, uh, There were Mm. certain lines that reminded me of um, David Hyde Pierce in Treasure Planet. Um, Altogether, I don't know enough about Kevin Klein to be able to be like, yeah, that's him.
1: wait. What? I'm having a I'm having a, a moment like in That's So Raven. Not really. It's like kind of <laughs> like that.
0: did you watch That So Raven? You did No, I have just cable. know that it's
1: a thing. I You know what? Uh, cultural <laughs> osmosis. You know, it, it's I don't have to have watched it to know that it's a thing. No, please. Anyway, I'm flashing over to Kevin Klein doing the voice of someone in El Dorado.
0: Kevin Kline? Cl- no, he is Tulio. He's Kevin Kline's Tulio? That's
1: what it is. That's,
0: that's why. Yeah. I,
1: yes, it's, it's Tulio. Right. And, and um... Oh, my God, what's-his-face was Miguel, the Shakespeare guy, the guy who directed Thor.
0: Oh! um, Oh,
1: my God, what's his name? I'm gonna...
0: Dutch Angle guy.
1: (laughs) Kenneth Branagh! Kenneth Branagh was Miguel? Yes, he was Miguel. Right, and Kevin Klein was Tulia. You know
0: what, Stephanie... Thank you. I don't know why she didn't have this That's So Raven brain blast when we were watching the movie, because I said the same thing. No, I was like, just didn't you know, that particular line delivery reminded me of Tulio.
1: I didn't connect those cables. I, I, I don't
0: know. <laughs> but I'm I'm glad they connected. Also, yeah. a
2: That's So Raven's brain blast is too many early 2000s references shoved into one sentence.
1: <laughs> and I just had both of them at once. Honestly, it was more of a brain blast than a that's ring because I wasn't seeing the future, I was seeing, like, the past, where I had learned this information, but...
0: So brain blast is more accurate.
1: I guess, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that is... <laughs> that is I'm having Kline. a that great time on
0: this episode. Yeah, this
1: is, this is good.
0: <laughs> but... And,
1: uh, hey, uh, Kevin Klein is a good voice actor, honestly, like, he, he does a good job as both Phoebus and Tulio... I...
3: I
0: like Phoebus as a character a lot. Honestly, my only complaint about him is that he's too convenient (laughs) plot-wise. Like, that this random guy who's a part of the guard would be as good as he is.
1: No, I I think it's a good thing because it... um, I think it was necessary to have someone who was in that position and had that perspective uh to be in that role if that makes sense and i also like that his character kind of complicates the uh the narrative a little bit kind of complicates the love triangle esmeralda is introduced dancing in the street for coins basically um which is what she kind of has to do as she brings up later
0: right and then uh patrick star and another guard show up
1: (laughs) yes the voice of Patrick. that was one of my
0: notes is why are you such a dick Which, Okay, <laughs> I didn't know to quite catch on until the, the festival of fools and I was like is that Patrick and Stephanie said I was waiting for you to say that <laughs> and I was annoyed was him, yeah. I was annoyed because I didn't even get to IMDB it oh, usually I'm I can be like oh, oh. is that so and so and then Stephanie says I don't know and then I can google it but this time she was ahead of the curve uh-huh. and I didn't enjoy it
1: oh I'm sorry sweetie I know this movie a little better than you i'm sorry just shut up Uh uh-huh and so uh you know they're being typical bumbling guards being dicks uh he outwits them he gives her her money back which is like a nice little moment where he he's constantly on to her like tricks um he which we see later when he follows her into the cathedral and knows that she's gone there but he basically passes by her and this is where we get our tobacco moment uh, Our
0: first one, yeah.
1: The um, the goat is it, she has the goat sitting on her shoulders, and the goat has a little hood and is disguised <laughs> as a person smoking a pipe. It's shenanigans, and I yeah, love it's great. It. Um, and then he gives her her money back because he's passing by, which is like a sweet little moment. Uh, but basically, he's been brought there by Frollo to 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 be a cop essentially, and like keep the peace. Um, and, you know, it's made pretty clear that Frollo doesn't really treat his subordinates that well.
0: Frollo is currently torturing the former captain of the guard.
1: Yeah, he's literally instructing this guy on how to beat him. Like, it's it's kind of fucked. Um, and of course, Phoebus uh. picks up on this and is like, oh, maybe I didn't get myself into a great position here. Um, so that sets the stakes pretty high for him early on. Frollo makes it clear he is planning to uh, root out the Romani people, and he has a whole vendetta against them because he says they inflame the people's lowest instincts, so he's pulling the whole they're gonna corrupt people card.
0: Hate to see it. You love to see it.
1: You love to see it in the long run. You hate to see it at the short run.
0: <laughs> I love to see it. Frodo hates. Frolo hates to see. No,
1: it. yeah, it makes it. It makes a. It makes a good story.
0: Oh no!
2: I meant his demeanor.
1: His yeah, eyes. I was. I was on uh, Justin's. Uh, pitch. You uh, meant
2: not nah, nah.
1: Caleb uh, yeah. meant. Yeah. Loved- wow,
2: that other thing would have made me an <laughs> ass.
1: <laughs> no, Caleb meant you love to see the people's lowest instincts being inflicted. That is what I meant. <laughs> totally agree.
2: Uh, no, I meant you hate to see how Frollo's being. You love to see... <laughs> yeah, it. that's what I meant. That's what I meant. You love
0: to see the lowest instincts. <laughs> right.
1: And so, of course, this transitions pretty naturally into... The Feast of Fools? The bi- yeah, the, the big Act of Fools? one thing.
0: Which is it? Is it Feast of Fools or Festival of Fools? Uh,
1: you know, it's actually referred to as both. He's like I think it's both, right? A- at some points, I think Clopin refers to it as the Feast of Fools... And then at other times they refer to it as the festival. Okay. I don't know.
2: I think I think more often than not it's yeah, festival. I think so too. I
1: mean that is what Quasimodo has his Freudian slip with when, he's supposed right, when he supposed to says say festival. forgiveness and he says festival.
0: Yes. Okay, so we'll call it the festival. Yeah. Uh yes. And this is where we get the Okay. So... And the advertising for this movie, most of it was drawn from the Festival of Fools sequence, of course, with the Topsy Turvy yes. song.
3: Yep,
0: makes sense. Mm, Topsy Turvy, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? Because it's the most fun, lively, colorful part of the movie, arguably. Even though it until they turn sour- against yeah, yeah. Okay,
0: so, so this is where uh, Quasimodo shows up. He's in disguise, and by disguise, I mean he threw like a shawl over his head. Um, yeah, that's
1: about
0: it. This is where Chopin starts intervening, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> Chopin is Clopan. That's <laughs> Chopin. Chopin, the Chopin shows up. <laughs> um, yeah, Mozart is very pissed that he didn't uh-huh. get the part. Hey,
1: Tom Holtz did play Mozart in Amadeus. Oh?
0: Yeah. Wow. Fitting. <laughs> uh, Tom Holtz voices worlds Quasimodo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway.
0: Uh, yes, Quasimodo bumbles his way through the festival. Um, and ends up in Esmeralda's tent. He makes his way out, blah, blah, blah. Uh, she
1: thinks he's wearing a mask. Right,
0: she thinks he's wearing a mask. Clopan is doing... This was the first moment where I was like, okay, he's omniscient, right? He is causing all of this stuff to happen for the sake of the story. Yeah. Um... That's at least what I felt. But that contradicts what happens later on.
1: I know. I know. Um, It's never clear where this character stands. Right.
0: So, Clopin is leading the song about uh, Topsy Turvy and explaining the Feast of Fools. uh, Where every king is a fool and every fool is a king.
1: Hey, that also plays into the monster versus man thing. It's people are not what they seem to be. Yes. Like, the the essence of someone and what they are presenting as are, are two different things.
0: That's a good point. Uh... And this all culminates with Quasimodo being crowned the King of Fools.
1: Right, because his face is the mask.
2: Which, that, uh, when he's being crowned the king and he sheds that single tear,
0: it I know, broke me. I yeah, know. it feels really nice. <laughs> like, and then all of a sudden boy. Patrick is like, let's throw tomatoes at can, him.
1: Uh, well, because that's what he wanted what? all let's, these years.
2: he deserves a good day. Yeah,
1: he, he wanted... He wanted to be part of the people. He wanted to be one of them. He wanted someone to see him. And
0: like, did they did they treat all of the the kings of fools this way, or just Quasimodo? Did all it took was one guard throwing a tomato for the entire crowd to turn against him?
2: I think. Well, did. Didn't they turn against him when they realized who he was? Yeah,
0: they did.
2: But and then that, they started throwing the tomatoes. It still yeah.
0: doesn't... I, think I don't think that justifies it. What
1: I think is going on here no. is that they didn't ever... We're not ever meant to believe that they cared about him as a person. What we are meant to take away from this is that they care about him as a spectacle. Yeah. And they care... That yes. spectacle works for him for a very short amount of time because they're like oh this is cool like this is all part of the game but as soon as it becomes more entertaining to them more advantageous to them to hurt him like as soon as that becomes the 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 better thing the the more entertaining thing then that is what they're going to do like it was never about liking or disliking him it was all about him being an object for for them to use and that's kind of the way Frollo treats him too he treats him well when he's under his control he treats him like shit when he tries to get out of it and that that is demonstrated in the mob like they at no point saw him as a person they saw him only as something for for their use for their entertainment
2: (sighs) yeah exactly like when they thought it was a mask and everything, they were like, oh, okay, it's just, he's a weird guy. But when they realized who and what he was, they were like, oh, he's right, the exactly. other. Let's right, and it was it.
1: never, I don't think we're meant to believe that it was animosity in the way that it is for Frollo. It was simply, it was simply funny to them. It was, it is funny to see this strange mm-hmm. creature, you know, be tormented because he's weird. He's misshapen. And we can, we can get a rise out of him. Like, that's all it is. It, you know, at no point are they actively against him so much as they just want to see him sweat, you know? Can I
0: just say that this sequence is brutal.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: As the transition yes. from Quasimodo having a great day and being crowned the king of fools to being chained down and the everything turns red... And he is being mocked and pelted. It's just, it's awful.
1: Yeah, it's brutal.
0: It it hurts. And it especially it's hurts watch. because you
1: know how long he wanted this. You know how long he wanted to be one of the people, but he, now he sees kind of them with their mask
0: off. Right, and then Phoebus tries to step in, but Frollo says, no, a lesson must be learned oh, here.
1: Oh, yeah, fucking Frollo is over here like, you know what, actually, I'm going to let this play out. Like... <laughs>
0: And then we get then
2: we get one of the moments in the movie, and that's when Esmeralda, Esmeralda steps up to. Uh, help My him. heart
1: flutters. Uh, I, I love I, her so much. Just like the moment when everything goes quiet, and she just like steps up there, and she like she looks like an angel, and you hear like the like the choirs in the background. And you know this is, of course, you know this is how he's perceiving her. So it's it's not entirely maybe true to life, but but he sees her as this like this savior in this moment, uh, which kind of colors yeah. how he sees her later on, but um, it's really great because, see, Esmeralda, as someone who is experienced with being outcast by society, she she's not afraid of this. Um, whereas he, this is very new to him and very terrifying for him. She's like, yeah, I know what it's like to have people like treat me like shit, and I I don't care. I don't. I just don't want to see it happen to another person. And um,
0: the way she stands up to Frollo, oof. like Frollo says silence, yeah, and she that, says justice. Oh
2: God, that's what I was referring I to as one of the moments in that's the movie. It's amazing. It just, I know, <laughs> just so good.
1: Major hard eyes. Honestly, <laughs> you can Absolutely. see why every character in this movie is obsessed with her. Like, um, yeah, and it's really great because um, it, Frollo tries to stop her, and she is just like. Uh, no, I'm I'm just gonna do what I was gonna do. Like, and uh, at first she doesn't even really attack him. She's just kind of like, uh, just a second, let me help this guy out. And th- but then when Frollo pushes it, she's like, look, let me tell you about you. Like, yeah, she's
0: like, yeah, now that you mention it. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, I really love that. Okay.
0: I love that she pulls the whole. <laughs> when when Frollo says arrest her, and like all of the guards come after her, and she's counting them. And it's a whole like fucking Halo Two with the <laughs> shipmaster. They outnumber us three to one. Like then it doesn't even fight. <laughs> 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 and as we're just like let's see. There's two, three, five, six, seven, eight, ten of you and one of me. And she just handles the situation. Oh yeah,
1: she's great, right? And there's this whole like Looney Tunes bullshit, as we've taken to calling it, sequence, uh, where she's eluding the guards. Of course, both Quasimodo. And Phoebus and Frollo are all quite taken with her in in kind of different ways. You get your classic, what a woman. What a woman. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, uh, She escapes. Uh, Frollo is furious. Quasimodo is major hard eyes. And Phoebus is like, hmm, I got to find out more about this. Uh, So uh, they're all kind of converging on um, the cathedral where she has uh, taken refuge. Because she knows that that's the place of sanctuary. And the first encounter we get here after... Sorry, let me make a note that Quasimodo has gone back fully aware at this point that Frollo has seen him. Has seen his shame and is now angry with him. Um, But um, Esmeralda escapes back to the cathedral. Uh, (laughs) Phoebus follows her. There's a lovely little... Uh, Favorite trope of mine Which is the romantic couple meets each other By fighting (laughs) Um, Hand to hand combat (laughs) Uh, Yeah
0: I like this scene Like uh, even when Frollo shows up Phoebus tells her to declare sanctuary And she doesn't and then Phoebus turns around and says I'm sorry sir she declared sanctuary
1: Yeah Yeah, he's always very One thing I like about um, him as a character Is that Instead of being like a dumb jock He's kind of always aware of what's going on And is trying to stay like Mm-hmm. two steps ahead, kind of. Uh, and he he's pretty much the only one who always sees through Esmeralda's little uh, tricks that she does. Like, she will escape somewhere, but he always knows where to find her, that kind of thing. Um, and even when she kind of refuses to protect herself, he's like, well, okay, well, then I'll do it. Like, um, which is nice. <laughs> uh, but of course, <laughs> on the other hand, uh, Frollo, being his slimy self, hangs around uh, has a nice creepy moment where he smells her hair. That's great. Um oh, <laughs> yeah, he God. just fully he just puts his nose right in there. It's yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. and that's where it kind of becomes clear like what his angle is here. Like, oh, he he kinda he yeah <laughs> there are other motivations at work
0: here. Yeah, no, she calls him out on it oh, and he's like how dare you always putting impure implications i
1: know i kind (laughs) of like that moment too where yeah she's like i know what you were imagining and he says how typical of your kind to twist the truth and cloud the mind with unholy thoughts thank you which feels so Stephanie, <laughs> like I said, I have this movie memorized, uh, which feels so real, honestly, because it's like that's his way of turning his what he knows is his own guilt and his own sin back on her. Like, oh, it's your fault. Like, uh, no, you're the one twisting the truth. You're the one uh, causing this to happen to me, the innocent victim and in all this. Um, which feels very. Real. We're all
0: trying to find the guy who did this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's kind of what happens later um yeah it's very uh, you know slut shaming if we're gonna like put a name to it he's basically saying like oh it's your fault for being so sexy (laughs) Um, and so eventually he does leave and so her situation now is that she is trapped inside the notre dame um she has a nice little conversation with the archdeacon who is who is trying to help but he only has so much power in this situation um, and uh, interestingly this is kind of a Beauty and the Beast kind of thing too where you have uh, both the monster quote unquote character and the heroine who are trapped in this uh, dark gothic structure and are kind of forced to be together in that in that environment and forced to learn from each other um, because the, uh, the castle or the cathedral represents, uh, I don't know, the, I do I'm say, the state of isolation mm-hmm. they are trapped in. And of course, this is where we get God help the outcasts. One of my favorite um, Disney songs, it's pretty underrated. I absolutely love it. Um, and this is kind of, Like, it's not really... I don't even know how to qualify this. Like, I was so uh, intently going through all the... Uh, various songs of the Disney renaissance trying to align them into a sort of structure. I'm not entirely sure where this one fits in because that's not, it's not a love song. It's not like a chorus song. It's not a villain song. It could maybe count as an I want song. I was
0: about to say I would count it as the sidekick's I want song. Yeah,
1: which but that's not that common of a thing. Not the
0: sidekick. The side protagonist? Yeah.
1: Well, she's not, that's the thing. She's not the protagonist but she still gets an I want song which is kind of cool i i I like that uh it really shows how committed the movie is to exploring her character uh, which i do like
2: maybe it's like maybe in a weird meta way it's the i want song for the themes of
1: the movie (laughs) honestly i i think you're right i think this this song maybe more than any of the other ones kind of encapsulates you know what the movie's about um because and it's really a beautiful kind of almost a heartbreaking song um because it's interesting you know the theme of religion in this movie is is fascinating it it's primarily used by the villain but here we have this interesting moment where she kind of addresses god in a very uncertain way that is kind of fascinating to me she says um I, I don't know if you can hear me or if you're even there. Um, and, and you know, but she does address him and basically asks for help for, not even for herself, but for her people. Uh, yeah, it's this really beautiful moment of showing how she, she's kind of a selfless person, but she does want things to change. You know, she, she wants... Uh, improvement for their society can't believe Esmeralda was an Sjw gonna <laughs> <Just, laughs> kinda... no but really the, <laughs> the movie is very concerned with these kind of questions of social justice of you know uh, of societal improvement um yeah I really like it mean, es- Esmeralda
0: herself says that she can help herself yeah but help those who can't
1: Right, right, which is her whole thing mm-hmm. Even though she's one of those people But she doesn't even stop to think of her herself she, Right, she, she
0: knows that she she is a pretty lady who dances And she is able to earn enough to get by <laughs> But not all of her people are in the same situation
1: Yeah, and it's, and this is, you know We see uh, Quasimodo Harris who's singing And I, I guess what we can take from this is that He is once again kind of struck by her uh her compassion and like how she seems to genuinely want to help uh people who are who are downtrodden people who are oppressed um and that draws him to her naturally um and so after you know after the song she she sees him uh follows him and of course he he's kind of afraid to talk to her of course (laughs) understandable i'd i'd be a little nervous too uh but they go and have this nice conversation where he's, like, showing her around the, the place where he lives, basically.
0: Uh, the gargoyle is into the goat. Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, like, they, they say something about, oh, she's a radiant beauty, and he's like, the girl in the dress ain't bad either. <laughs> and that's just a running joke throughout the rest of the episode is that Jason Alexander's gargoyle is into the goat. Uh, (laughs) Um, and then post God Save the Outcast, as Stephanie was saying, uh, uh, Quasimodo is kind of giving Esmeralda a tour of the the towers in Notre Dame. And he says that, you know, she's nice. She's not like other gypsies, Mm. um, which is where we get the whole, the uh, racism is learned metaphor. But this is kind of the only time it's touched upon. Yeah. Um, So Quasimodo has learned this prejudice from Frollo, but this is the only time it is ever brought up. Uh, He says something prejudicing against the Romani people, and uh, she's like, oh, and what way? How am I different? And it feels like it is going to be much more of a plot point than it ends up being.
1: What's interesting is that uh, that kind of interaction sort of reminded me of something that happens in Pocahontas uh, because there's this kind of cringy line where John Smith is like, hey, uh, we've improved the lives of savages all over the world. And uh, Pocahontas is like, savages? And he's like, oh, well, well, not like you. And she's like, oh, just my people, Uh, which is a good moment because she's like calling him out on being like, "Uh, so you may not think I'm a quote unquote savage, but you're still talking about like the kind of person that I am. And the kind of people that I care about. Mm. Um, and so that kind of happens in both of these movies. But I, I agree. It's kind of weird that this is brought up, but it does never really come up again. Um, because it is kind of inter- interesting to introduce this idea that maybe Moto has some stuff that he really needs to unlearn. That he's learned right, from Right. He's learned
0: Frollo's prejudice. Right. But this is the only time it ever comes up.
1: Right. He, he just is kind of like, oh... Yeah, you're right. And and, and then it's never prejudiced again, which, I mean... Exactly. ...is great, but also...
0: It feels hmm. like it should have been something that come up a couple times before it was fully resolved.
1: Yeah, like something... But also, I
0: understand happen. this is a Disney no, renaissance like, movie, and they are strictly under an hour and 40 minutes long.
1: <laughs> yeah, you gotta crunch that time a little bit. Yes. Uh, shorten those arcs a little bit. But anyways, so... And she also has this nice moment where she she basically tells him, Hey, you know, Frollo says that I'm evil. He says that you're a monster. Maybe he's wrong about both of us. Um, and that's where he kind of starts to see like, Oh yeah, that's true. Maybe, maybe what Frollo says isn't the absolute truth, uh, which is an important moment for him. Ah, yes. And, um, he, he of course helps her escape, uh, which already shows he's willing to (laughs) defy Frollo a little bit. Um, he he helps her get down she gives him the pendant and says you know this is <laughs> she basically in in all but directly says this is a map to where i live <laughs> uh gives yeah. when you wear this <laughs> woven band you hold the city in your hand um she gets away and then um i believe it's after this that we get the musical sequence uh am i forgetting anything I don't think so.
0: which musical sequence
1: Heaven's light and hellfire.
0: No, I think you're right. That's my next note. Well, I made a note about Phoebus. Oh,
1: that's true. There is that moment where he encounters him on the stairs and he's like, hell uh, no, I'm yes. going to beat the fuck out of you. Okay.
0: Right. So Phoebus talks to Quasimodo. Uh, he's trying to find Esmeralda immediately after she escapes. Um, what What was the message he wanted to give her? Oh, that he didn't mean to trap her. Right. It was not Phoebus's intent to trap mm-hmm. her for Frollo. And that... um. Uh, she is lucky to have friends like Quasimodo. And there's the fun little moment where, where Phoebus is like, can you let me down? <laughs> and it's revealed that, like, Quasimodo is holding Phoebus, like, three feet off the ground. Yeah. Just casually.
1: <laughs> right.
0: That, Ham, that's like never really
1: <laughs> exactly touched on But I guess along with his deformity He also has like kind of superhuman strength Right
0: that only ever comes up with Phoebus Because like there's a moment where like Quasimodo slaps Phoebus on the back later And Phoebus <laughs> goes ow <Yeah. laughs>
1: Hey I mean it does come up in a
0: <laughs> You gotta think he's up there ringing that's, those heavy ass bells That's a good
1: point like And he also life, is able so. to like break out of chains so. Yeah no
0: it's very Herculean
1: Yeah exactly Um. um but it's more of just like It's not You don't notice it Until it actually Like happens Usually
0: So after that I think is when we get Heaven's Light Slash Hellfire
1: Yes And um Once again I love these dual Um musical numbers. Right, they they're were,
0: effectively the same melody as we discussed when we were watching it.
1: Yeah, they're turned a little bit like Heaven's Light is major key, Hellfire is minor key of course. Yeah. Um, but but they're a really great way of taking a, a theme and playing it out in two very different ways. Um, because, you know, uh, this is where we start to see the beginnings of, uh, of the way Quasimodo and Frollo are both I don't want to say obsessed with Esmeralda (laughs) because in the case of the former, it sounds a little uncharitable. Uh, They they both are extremely fascinated by her um, and have feelings towards her. Um, And of course, with Quasimodo, with I can't speak with Quasimodo. It's it's very innocent. Um, He he's thinking, oh, this is so nice. Like maybe someone actually likes me, you know, for who I am. and it's, yeah, he says, like, that feeling is like heaven's light. And then it transitions into hellfire, um, which is, <laughs> which is, I guess, how furlough perceives his attraction to a lady, which is fun. Um, so, yeah, there's this great memo where it's, like, the, the Catholic choir singing, um... And, of course, one of my all-time favorite Disney songs, not even going to lie. (laughs) I absolutely love this song. Uh,
0: It is something. It is great. After writing basically the same note previously, I once again wrote, um, uh, Hellfire is damn bold for a Disney movie.
3: Yes, it is.
0: Yes. That's why we oh love my it. God. We love like it. Like Heaven's Light is like your typical, like yeah, this is a good, nice little like heroes' are prize, blah blah blah. And then you get Hellfire, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> whoa Uh, uh Tony J. My
2: man rings it. Brings it brings in this it. role, and it's horrifying. Yeah, icky. It's, it's, but he breaks brings... I know, I'm like this is
1: I, I can't believe I'm this horrified by someone holding a scarf like <laughs> like <laughs> this is I feel <laughs> dirty looking at this. <laughs> um it it's so great and it it's really showing I, I think part of what's so fascinating and scary and yet kind of tragic about it is that he is so twisted the very concept of being attracted to a woman, especially a woman of this, like, lower, you know, heathen social class, he is so twisted in his mind that he has made it into an impure thing. He has made it into a dirty, sinful, corrupting thing. When it, he could have just looked at it like, you know, like Casamero does, like, wow, I, I'm into someone, this feels great. Instead, he has to twist it into... This evil witch is forcing me to sin. Like
0: it's because what was what was that line in the prologue, Stephanie? Mm. Uh, Frollo found he
1: saw corruption everywhere except within. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ooh. He is constantly projecting the, this. Uh, so
0: any anything yeah. that he may feel in relation to Esmeralda is her fault,
1: right? Because of course, he of cannot course.
0: see corruption within
1: exactly and it's you always get the sense that he's this close to recognizing something as his fault because i mean literally the the chorus says mea culpa which which literally translates to my fault right uh, but he is saying I, I i'm not to blame um
0: right he literally says i'm not to blame and the chorus responds mea culpa
1: yeah right it's so on the nose Woo. um
0: if you know your are latin but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <What>? awesome <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, so I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> but yeah, he's basically, uh, God, what's that that line from V for Vendetta? Uh, cast as both victim and villain, or something like that. That that is how he <laughs> perceives himself right now. Um, it...
0: He perceives himself as V. <laughs>
1: yeah he is victim in that he feels he is being victimized by esmeralda's enchantments but also he see like you get the sense that truly he does see that that he is the villain here he just can't accept it um and he has the fantastic line uh it's not my fault if in God's plan he made the devil so much stronger than a man and which, um,
0: what a line
1: and as he's saying that line, the Ooh. flames are like twisting around him and pulling him into the, the, the fire rod which oh
0: my gosh. <laughs> this is. This is a Disney movie. This whole scene. Oh my gosh. It's
1: fantastic. Uh, he was pulled into hell Penis first.
0: Um, <laughs> I, feel, I feel many people are.
1: <laughs> right. And and that's what's so great about it. Uh, he's literally trapped in a hell of his own making. At any point he could have just like been like, "Hey, I'm into a girl." Uh, she doesn't like me back. I'm gonna go whack off and then get over it, you know? But he can't. Like, that, he has so built this obsession hey. in his head that he can't, he can't deal with it that way.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so after Hellfire, uh, Frollo declares that he will either, uh, he will find Esmeralda or burn Paris down in the process, essentially. Stephanie, do you remember the exact line?
1: Oh. Uh, I mean, hey, we stumped she, her! Yes, yeah, she will be mine or she will burn. She will
0: be mine or Paris will burn. I don't remember, I something mean, like yeah,
1: that. Yeah, he does say that, but he, yeah, he also is also willing to burn down the city too. Yes,
0: so he is hunting down, uh, he is hunting Esmeralda um, through, he is interrogating random people throughout the city. Um, there's a moment where after uh, dealing with the Romani people, uh, he, he jumps to the miller um, who is just a standard Parisian person, I suppose. Um, and he says, I don't know. I, I accept any travelers who come to my abode. Um, and Frollo commands Phoebus to burn down the miller's home with the miller and his whole family inside. And Phoebus does not, he refuses, he, he extinguishes his torch. Yeah, this is is
1: kind of where he realizes. Okay, I guess I can't be part of this anymore. Right,
0: it's a great moment for a character. Um, It's Stephanie and I. I I made a joke about um, uh, Phoebus would uh, would have been innocent during the Nuremberg trials. He would not (laughs) have been claiming that. I just did what I was told because he didn't. Fortunately, Um, he did not invoke
1: the Nuremberg. Hey,
0: yeah, guess what? hey, our our friend Phoebus is better than a Nazi, so...
1: (laughs) Which is a great bar.
0: (laughs) Um, That's the lowest bar. But to Um, be
1: fair, he he puts his life at risk to do
3: that.
0: Right, and Frollo says, like, you had such a promising career. Right. Uh, And then Esmeralda saves him. Mm -hmm. So Phoebus is about to be beheaded by one of uh, Frollo's henchmen, and then Esmeralda picks up a stone and uses her sash to hit uh launch the stone at Phoebe, at uh, frollo's horse which is very i felt was very david and goliath um because there is look literally the only example of a sling and a stone being used in popular culture is the david and goliath story so any time it's yeah. used, I, I view it as an explicit reference to that. Um, well, so that was the
1: small person taking down the big person. It was. That's through, exactly what it through was. Through the horse, she is taking down Frollo. Um, yeah.
0: Um, so she rec- rescues Phoebus. Uh, he is mortally wounded, but not she to rec- wounded. not to mo- rescue Not mortally wounded. Okay, close to. He <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: is wounded, and yeah. she is able to rescue him.
1: Right. Uh, she takes him back to the cathedral, and of course uh, <laughs> before she gets there, uh, there's what, Justin?
2: Uh, so, so, okay, so <laughs> this whole thing started off a chain of events where Paris is yep. on fire because he's hunting Esmer- mm-hmm. Esmeralda and Phoebus. So before they show up, the Gargoyles have this yep. song about how in love Quasimodo is. Mm. And it is. They are literally showing Paris <laughs> burning in the background of okay. this fun nope. upbeat I, musical. I have number. a note about this,
0: Justin. Um, <laughs> oh, you're right. I, I totally skipped over this in, in my notes. Okay. The musical numbers in this song are com- totally inconsistent in quality. Because. So the Gargoyles have this whole number about how Quasimodo is in love with Esmeralda. But it's just... It is not Alan Menken's best work. It is a totally by-the-numbers, by-the-book, just boring-ass musical number. I'm sorry. That is my opinion about... I don't even know the name of this song. I i don't. A guy like you. A guy like you. Thank you, Stephanie. That is my opinion of a guy like you. Is It is just...
1: The one thing I will say for this musical number is I think the animation is fun. Like, visually, it's it's engaging. Um, I don't think it has a reason for being there, especially because, once again, returning to my idea of if the gargoyles were explicitly meant to only be inside his head, I think it would make more sense. But uh, I don't think there's much point to it being there if they're not just that. Um, but I will say this... I think it is it is important to the themes of the story and the dichotomy that we're exploring in both of these movies that we are really shown that Quasimodo that is really, like, he really is in love with her. Like, he, he has very mm-hmm. genuine feelings for her and, and genuinely hopes that she might feel the same way about him. I think that is important, and I think it's important that it be hammered home because... The difference between the way that, that he and Frollo react to rejection, essentially, is crucial to the entire point of the movie.
0: Now that we're on the point, immediately after this musical number, Esmeralda shows up to Notre Dame, the Cathedral Notre Dame with Phoebus, and he is injured, and she asks Quasimodo to look after him, and Esmeralda and Phoebus share a kiss. And obviously this is upsetting to Quasimodo because he just had a whole musical number about how she might be the one. like he might have a chance at love. And I cannot express enough how much I appreciate this music. This, this movie does not dwell on that. I The fact that Quasimodo yeah. witnesses this is upset about it. Uh, is forced to have a short, tense relationship with Phoebus to save Esmeralda, and then has to get over it. I, I appreciate that journey because when we have a love triangle such as this, and the character Quasimodo, in another movie would have been forced to be jealous the whole time and just be obnoxious. Yeah. I I despise that, so I I appreciate that Quasimodo just accepts this and learns his lesson and moves on and is able to be happy for her um no yeah
1: that's the whole point like is that frollo can't frollo wants to control her he can't accept uh anyone else having her he can't even. right and so quasimodo
0: is able to accept that someone else is going to have her that's a very good point stephanie right
1: and it just goes to show that that he is the one with true human empathy and who sees her as a person who that has.
0: That's a good point. <laughs> that he for, in in this moment, Quasimodo is the, uh, once again the opposite of Frollo. He is able to accept the loss of Esmeralda, right. whereas Frollo, uh, can't. Frollo literally says that she can face the fires of hell, or, or she can choose him or face the fires of hell.
1: Yeah, that's the only options to him.
0: Whereas Frollo, whereas Quasimodo can accept that she can be in love with someone else. That right. is,
1: and, and not only does he accept that, but he does everything he can to protect Phoebus, who is his rival here. He was, like, you know, if he was a worse person, he could be like, well, I don't care about this person because the girl I like is into him, so fuck him. Like, but yeah. he does everything he can to help him because <laughs> he's important to her. Yeah. And that's, like, a very important distinction.
0: So... Where we are plot wise, (laughs) (laughs) Phoebus has been brought to Quasimodo. Frollo shows up to question Quasimodo because he believes Quasimodo helped Esmeralda escape.
1: Love the scene.
0: Uh, so there's a whole sequence where Phoebus is unconscious underneath the table that they're having dinner. It feels very like SpongeBob. To me, it feels like uh, SpongeBob and Mr. Krabs, like keeping the health inspector unconscious in the trunk of their car. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, The bottles of soda. Yeah, bottles of soda. <laughs> oh, my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> Quasim- at one point, Phoebus groans, and then Quasimodo kicks him in the face to knock him unconscious again. <laughs> I I love I. That is some great comedy to me. (laughs) Um, and and Frollo accuses him of helping helping Esmeralda, um, etc. Oh, and
1: he says, and now all Paris is burning because of you. Because of you, yes, good point.
0: And then uh, Frollo tells Quasimodo that he, uh, Frollo implies he knows uh, where their hideout is. He knows where to find Esmeralda, and he's going to attack at dawn with a thousand men. But this is a trap.
1: Oh, yeah. He's uh, he lying. does not.
0: He suspects that Quasimodo knows where they are. Yeah. And uh, is waiting to follow Quasimodo.
1: <laughs> Which he is right about, just he, as he was right about Quasimodo helping Esmeralda <laughs> escape. He, he is on to him. Um, and predictably... Uh, after Frollo leaves, you know, Phoebus is like, uh, we have to do something, we have to help them. Uh are you with me or not? And is like, No, I can't do it. So Phoebus, is like, whatever, he leaves, he's gonna go try to help. And
0: he pulls the Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he pops upside down to the door frame was like, Alright, I'll help
1: Yeah. Right, um, and, and this is one of a, a couple <laughs> of times that we have to see Quasimodo make a difficult decision about whether or not to to obey Frollo and, and live under his his command Or to choose his own path And every time To be fair he, he does He does make the right choice
3: yeah.
0: now, okay, So there are some tropes that I hate in this movie But there are a couple that, that we get in the sequence That I enjoy So uh, Quasimodo shows up to help Phoebus uh, And they're both they're, they're in the situation that they both care about the girl um, And they both know Who the girl cares for and yeah. so they have to agree on a truce. And I'm a fan of that trope as long as it ends well. Which it does because Quasimo- Quasimodo is a sport about it.
1: I am always a fan of that. Like two people who don't like each other have to team up for the person they both care about. Yes. Such a fan of that. Yes. Love it. Every I, time. And
0: then so Quasimodo has the, the map that Esmeralda gave him. And I love... This moment right here, where they're both talking about the map and saying exact opposite things. Talking over each other. The, yes, they're talking over each other but saying the opposite things. Yep. Um, it's, it's hilarious. I love it. I, I where Quasimodo is arguing why it is, true a true map, and Phoebus is saying it isn't, and I. Th- I, I just think it's a funny sequence. Yeah, I, enjoy I think these it. two
1: have a nice dynamic. I like it.
0: Right. It's... This, this dynamic is only <laughs> enjoyable because Quasimodo is not a total tool about the whole Esmeralda thing. Right, of course. <laughs> I've seen this dynamic in other movies where this is just totally unenjoyable.
1: Yeah. Um... No, it's handled well.
0: So, th- so they figure out the map. They figure out the clue.
1: Yeah, some Indiana Jones bullshit.
0: Right, and they go to find Esmeralda and the other uh, and her people um, to, to try and warn them. So this unaware is where we get of...
1: into this kind of wonky scene.
0: Right. Uh, before we, before we bleed it, discuss this scene. Um, so it turns out that Esmeralda and her people are hiding out in the old catacombs of Paris. Uh, I made a note that. Frollo never thought to search the catacombs that dude must suck at his job because I'm sorry if I was looking for a large population of quote unquote wanted peoples I would check the fucking catacombs
1: uh yeah is I don't know if that's ever really made clear no
0: the catacombs of Paris are a well known thing like I
1: I yeah I know I did Frollo know about them?
2: He definitely uh, yeah. would have, uh, being in the position That's of power. Yeah. He would have
0: known they existed, That's and that like weird. pickpockets and thieves hid out there. So he definitely would have gone to search there, but apparently he didn't.
1: Yeah, in that case, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. What to so, make of
0: that. here is where we get the uh, questionable sequence that Stephanie and I were hinting at.
1: Yeah, I don't really know what to make of. Where this. Where
0: Quasimodo and Phoebus, uh, enter the catacombs through through a tomb. And. Chloe shows up again. And yeah, they're we, ambushed by yes, the Romani. Yes, they're ambushed by the Romani people. And we are given a whole musical sequence where we are told, essentially, that Frollo was right about every negative thought he had uh, about I, the people. Yeah, that, that they're like, hey, guess what? We are pickpockets. Hey, guess what? We do fake our illnesses to try and get mu- innocent people's money it's it's like they're all like hey you know what we're missing legs we were faking it i it's really it's a really weird sequence that i'm like i as a viewer do not quite know how to read yeah because yeah That's all I b- <laughs> say before the yeah. sequence <laughs> we're supposed to be against frollo right frollo is very racist clearly everything he believes about them is, like, we're led to believe is wrong, right? He calls them liars and thieves and pickpockets. And we're supposed to see that they're just, they're just a peep, a people that are trying to get by. And then this sequence happens and they're like, ha I guess what, Frollo is right. And it's really uncomfortable. Like, as if, aside from having 25 years of hindsight, it's... It, it is still confusing based on what the rest of the the movie before this was trying to tell us I think yeah
1: I totally agree that it adds an unnecessary layer of like moral grayness that really yes. doesn't need to be there yes my justification I guess would be that I think uh for one thing you could say that maybe this is an act that they put on for people that they view as enemies or outsiders, which they clearly do Mm -hmm. uh, view both Phoebus and Quasimodo as Frollo's henchmen. And um, it's like an intimidation tactic. Uh, On the other hand, maybe not mutually exclusive from that, but certainly in a different vein from that, it could be that maybe they are like, for instance, faking lameness and blindness, like is, is brought up in the song But maybe that's just because they are so outcast from every viable position in society that that's, like, the only option they have. Like, they can't get regular jobs. They can't earn money or be part of society in the usual way. So they have to resort to what we would consider underhanded Uh, just to survive. that,
0: That also requires an extra level of abstraction no, and I agree, thought I that the viewers shouldn't be expected to give right. to it I don't think that is what the song is attempting to yeah. say no
1: I, I agree the song complicates it unnecessarily or it complicates it without wanting to bother explaining why or explaining what the effect of that is yeah uh, so I agree I think it should not have happened I think that they they should have still reacted negatively to Kwasimoto and Phoebus entering, and maybe yeah. should have still tried to kill them. Mm-hmm. But without all the inferring that maybe they are
0: right, they're they're, they're essentially giving a villain's monologue here.
1: Yeah, no, I.
0: Agree. <laughs> where they're explaining the whole evil plan, and that is totally unnecessary at this point in time. So,
2: let's <laughs> it's we can move
0: on yeah. from this. So. Quasimodo and Phoebus find Esmeralda and her people and they're, they're where they live. Um, and they are immediately uh, wrapped in chains and uh, uh, it's not blindfolded, it's around their mouths. What's the word? <laughs> I
3: don't know. Yeah. G- thank you, gag. Justin. Kinky. You kinky bastard. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and gag, so they
0: can't even speak for themselves. They cannot. They can't explain why they're there. And Klopin is about to straight-up hang these two. I know. This is- uh, So this is the point where cl- this Klopin is completely different from the <laughs> Klopin that appears in the rest she of the movie. He was ready to cut a bitch. Yeah, he, he is straight-up ready to hang Quasimodo. <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck. Um, until Esmeralda shows up and says, No, they're friends. She has to save them. And then as soon as that happens...
1: Immediate reversal. Everything looks great for a second. Everyone's happy they're gonna escape because they warned up a of Frollo's plan. But, oh, it turns out Frollo already knew what was up. He followed them there, and everyone gets taken into custody. Woo-woo! Yeah, and it's... Yeah, it's really sad, too, because he basically, like, taunts Quasimodo with it. Like, yeah, you led me straight here. Thanks. Um... <laughs> yeah, Quasimodo
0: gets led back to Notre Dame, but this time wrapped up in chains, and Esmeralda gets burned at the stake. So, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. everything ends happy for everyone. <laughs> gonna
1: get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> Esmeralda is supposed to get burned at the stake. She
0: is supposed to get burned at the stake. And it's
1: kind of implied that he's gonna do the same thing to Phoebus, too, or something like that. Um, though we don't quite get to that point.
0: No. So, Quasimodo is wrapped in chains. He... His gargoyle friends make some passive ag- aggressive comments at him, and he breaks free of the chains. And he—they
1: were hyping him up. Okay, <laughs> they were uh, helping. Okay,
0: don't be- believe in the you that believes in me. No, yeah, they
1: said. Yeah. They said um, um, we're we're only made of s- stone. We just thought you were made of something stronger. Like
0: don't believe in the me that believes in <laughs> you. Believe in the simon that believes in oh you. I gotcha. God. Okay.
1: Yeah, now we're getting into Gurren and <laughs> reference. <please. laughs>
0: that Any was way. my plan all along. <laughs> I-, I don't even <laughs> get That's because knows. you're a son of a bitch.
3: <laughs> so <laughs> Anyway,
0: so <laughs> Quasimodo escapes the chains and he uses said chains to swing down and rescue Esmeralda from the flames. I um,
1: absolutely love this whole sequence. Yes. Just dramatic as hell. Great
0: sequence. Absolutely love I, it. I love that Quasimodo breaks free of the chains. He uses them to rappel down from the tower and then also uses those same chains to rescue Esmeralda from the flames.
1: Right. And um, what was that note you made and about? I have it
0: right here. Yeah. So there's Quasimodo is fighting off before they swing away. Quasimodo is fighting off the guards uh, that are attacking them as he is trying to rescue Esmeralda. Uh, and I noted that um, I, I liked the turnabout of the quote-unquote monster using uh, fire against his foes. So Quasimodo has, uh, is wielding uh, torches or branches that are on fire against the guards, which I feel is a... I read that as a turnabout of uh, townsfolk using fire against uh, Frankenstein. Hmm. Um, in that like the fr- yeah, yes, <laughs> it's a re- it's your classic reverse Frankenstein.
1: <laughs> oh, right, one of those.
0: <laughs> one of those. <laughs> uh, and that you know the the townsfolk uh, <laughs> Frankenstein is afraid of fire. The townsfolk use against him. This is he is clearly a Frankenstein-esque monster, and he is turning it about. Um, before they before they escape to safety, and and and, and, I, and I liked that.
1: Yeah, right. The, this whole sequence is so great because, um. This is where Quasimodo has to—he has to really decide if he's going to 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 fight or if he's going to give up. Because over and over again, Frollo has been ahead of him, has just stopped him at every turn and reminded him like why he can't ever escape. Like, um, and he has to decide if he is going to like be defeated by that or if he's going to keep fighting. And um, and of course, <laughs> Frollo in the meantime is being his usual self and is like hey so here's your options you can be my mistress i guess or you can die in the fire <laughs> um great options and uh yeah she literally just spits at him the spits fully animated and everything it's fantastic
0: oh oh you know what that reminds me of something okay i i said this when we were watching the movie esmeralda's esmeralda is animated very different from a lot of the other characters in the movie She is also the only like named female character in the movie, Mm -hmm. Um, and her face is so expressive. I feel like a a lot of the budget must have been given to just Esmeralda's face in particular.
1: Yeah, Uh (laughs) there are some really great facial animations. Uh, Like like I said to Kale though, I think Frillo's face is animated really well too. I mean his expressions are much more like I don't want to say caricatured, but they're like very like they're much more cartoony villain faces. Yeah.
0: Um, They're much more uh, Judge Doom.
1: Esmeralda does <laughs> have a great variety of facial mm-hmm. expressions, too. And even the face she gives him after she spits at him and is just like, fucking burn me, whatever, I don't care, <laughs> is fantastic. Like <laughs> I, I love it. Um, it but, but yeah, but of course it, his plan goes awry. Um, and, you know, at this point, uh, fucking the, the, the fickle Parisian mob uh, is apparently now not a fan of Frollo, and um, are able to be roused against him.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, Phoe- Phoebus manages to rouse the crowd against Frollo.
1: Yeah, and um,
0: it, a person is smart. People are stupid. Uh- <laughs>
2: Well, it's it, it, he's able to do it because Frollo has officially declared war. That's true on the church, and that's how that's what. Phoenus You're right.
1: Uses this is an leverage. important turning point for Frollo. This is where he kind of abandons all trappings of civility.
0: Right. And, there's no such thing as sanctuary anymore. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and this kind of shows how shallow his uh, as committed he is to uh, as committed as he is to this idea of himself as a good christian it's never outwardly said but that that's what's being implied here he nonetheless assaults the sanctuary of the church and the entire you know the entire meaning of of what it stands for um that the the sanctity of it is completely violated by him and that's where it becomes clear that he is a menace here
0: not a single one of his soldiers breaks through the church door
1: but he
3: does it's only him
0: it's literally like so the the yep. gargoyles start like raining lava down upon around like the the, the church of Notre Dame. I don't
1: even, yeah, it, yeah. But
0: uh, Frollo is the only one inside, and he breaks through the front door. So Frollo is the only person who assaults the sanctity He's of the, the cathedral. He's the only one who dares to
1: do that. Like it's it's not outwardly yeah. said, but it's kind of implied that the soldiers, like as much as they will fight outside the walls of the church, they don't dare to breach it.
2: Uh, Now you guys have... You're giving me time to say a stupid bit. Uh, You guys skipped over... uh, You guys skipped over the most important part of the sequence that's very tonally appropriate, and that's when George Costanza eats a stone and spits bullets like a fighter plane at the soldiers. Oh, my God.
1: Yes, lest we forget. Um, Yeah... I don't like how the gargoyles oh, are involved in this Yeah, fight. no,
0: my very last note <laughs> is that the foolish gargoyles built an inferior siege engine. <laughs> and, the <laughs> and the <laughs> They built a catapult instead of a trebuchet, oh the superior siege engine, and then they dropped the catapult onto the soldiers <laughs> instead of using it as a weapon. <laughs> And then, if only and then... they had
1: known the art of war. <laughs> no, so
0: the, the catapult lands on a couple dudes and takes them out of the fight, and then it triggers and like fires off and takes a couple more dudes out. But still, it would have been better no, if it no, was no. a trebuchet. This is
1: all shenanigans. This is not the important part. Yeah,
0: yes, Stephanie is right. This is all Looney Tunes bullshit. Yeah,
1: exactly. The important part is that, um, is that you know.
0: Esmeralda is unconscious, right? Well, and Frollo is inside the castle, not right. the castle, the cathedral.
1: Quasimodo is now kind of almost the figurehead of of the sanctity of the church at this point, because, because...
0: Frollo like threw the archdeacon yeah, down the stairs.
1: Up, not only was this an old ass man, but this is an old ass like holy man. And he just threw him down the stairs.
0: Right. This is an <laughs> old like ass man ridiculous. v. old ass man crime. Like, why aren't we talking about this more?
1: <laughs> old man fight. Oh.
0: Yeah, this is at yeah. best right. attempted yeah. oh, murder. To,
1: honestly, when we think about the last time Frollo threw someone down some stairs, uh, that could have gone away. Oh, a yeah, he
0: literally killed Quasimodo's mother.
1: Yeah, exactly. Why
0: aren't the news companies talking about the old-on-old crime?
1: <laughs> oh, my God. But, no, what I love about this so much is that, um, you know, l- like I said, like, Frollo is assaulting the sanctity of the church. He is now this devil oh, figure. Actively. Right. And Even though he fancies himself a holy man, he has become a, a demonic force. Whereas Quasimodo, it, in invoking sanctuary, he is kind of now becoming representative of the sanctity and protection that is offered by the Notre Dame. And, um... And that, is, and it's kind of like representative of how your religion can choose to project uh, to protect uh, marginalized people, or it can choose to, you know, it can choose to try to destroy them and choose to ex- exclude them. Uh, Quasimodo is representative of the former because, you know, he literally takes Esmeralda in his arms and claims sanctuary, um, whereas. Frollo is doing everything he can to assault that sanctuary. And...
3: I think...
1: think, um, These are (laughs) representative of how you can use your power, especially uh, from a religious standpoint, like, how you can use these ideologies to do good or to do evil. um, Because they are both imbued with power by the sanctity of the church. Um... Which is a dichotomy I find really fascinating. Uh, Of course, you know, once he breaches it, it it more comes down to, he's just trying to murder these people. (laughs) He's trying to murder Quasimodo, and he's trying to murder Esmeralda. He's trying to kill two birds with one stone. Uh
0: (laughs) And then he gets killed with a stone. Uh, That's true, he
1: kind of does. Yeah, so... So as is unconscious, you know, uh, Quasimodo thinks she's dead. And if this were any other version of the story, um, she 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 would be. be. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But she's just unconscious, I guess, due to smoke inhalation or something. Unconscious due to heroin disease. (laughs) Um, uh, Heroin (laughs) overdose, if you will. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hey. Uh, hey. And there's... I love this scene as well. Um, okay, I basically love every scene with Frillo and Quasimodo, but I love this scene where he he's so rapidly oscillating between these two sides of his character where he's trying to, like, placate Quasimodo and trying to, like, reason with him and, like, lecture him, but also he's kind of also trying to kill him. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so he he basically oh god, what happens here? Right, uh, he sees he's trying to kill him, he sees the, the silhouette of the dagger, and he's like oh, he grabs the dagger and Frollo's like, oh, okay, hey on just a second,
0: let's talk about this <laughs> oh, hey dog, I didn't realize you were there <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> okay but this line, this line I, I really love, uh, you know once Cosimo gets the dagger and is approaching Frollo and kind of looks like he, he might shank him, um he says, "All my life, you've told me that the world was a dark, cruel place, but but now I see that the only thing dark and cruel about it is people like you." Um, Woof. Which which is fantastic, um, and kind of sums up that Frollo has kept kept control over him, has kept him fearful of the outside world, and um, and this is him pronouncing that you know, like realizing that. Uh, you know, though the outside world has been cruel to him, there there is also good in it. And he's seeing that now, and he's rejecting the worldview that Frollo has taught him. And, uh, of course, you know, at this point, is like, yeah, well, now the only option is to murder Um, (laughs) uh, uh, Because now he wants both of them dead Chases them around Uh, Of course uh, just on a superficial level We also have to note that this is a a Parallel with Beauty and the Beast They both have that climactic uh, Fight on top of of a a Very tall tower Um, To which spoiler alert The villain is cast down To his death uh, Due to his own Hubris
2: one in water, yes. one in
0: fire. And oh, Frollo's last lines.
1: Ooh, he shall smite the wicked and plunge them into the fiery pit.
0: This bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly I what happens with Frollo. No,
1: it's great because it's that moment where he, he's he thinks he's about to kill Esmeralda and Quasimodo the people who have who have really been in his side. He thinks he's gonna kill them both at once, and he invokes, you know, this the script the scripture. Um <laughs>
0: No, I'm the villain in your history. Ooh.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but instead, uh, there's that moment where, you know, the, the glowing lion's head, the the, the light of heaven? face like looks at him. Oh, yes. And, and he is the wicked and he is cast down into the fire yes. pit. Um, and of course he falls down to his death, uh, classical, classic Disney death. Um, and, um. Quasimodo almost dies, but somehow is miraculously saved by Phoebus. I don't know how his spine survived this, but it just did. I guess.
0: (laughs) Stephanie made some sort of uh, comment about him, uh, about being surprised he didn't pull a Gwen Stacy right here. Yeah, I thought
1: he was going to get Gwen um, Stacy'd. Just, um, I saved you, but also every bone in your body is shattered. Um, But no, no, he's fine. Uh, They survived this, that... It's not important. <laughs> <laughs> the, the physics of it aren't important. Um, the, what's important is that they're all alive, uh, contrary to the original story, and we're okay with that. Um, and there's also the nice moment where, you know, he takes Phoebus and Esmeralda's hands and puts them together, which is kind of his, his last way of showing, like, you're both my friends. I don't harbor any ill will to- towards you. That's not me. Like... Unlike Frollo, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, go nuts. Uh, just name your name my godchild after me. Um, yeah, and and of and then there's the end where he walks out into the light. Uh, really beautiful, really symbolic. <laughs> and uh, and of course we get the classic uh, reprise. I Always love a reprise as we talked about. Uh, and this time. Uh, Instead of here's a riddle to guess if you can, uh,
0: what makes a monster, monster and, and yeah. what makes a man? This time
1: he says what makes a monster and what makes a man, um, and yeah, and that's that's kind of the whole question, I guess. Um, and of course, you know it's a very happy ending. Uh, the the <laughs> once again the fickle mob is now a fan of Quasimodo, I guess they've seen the error of their ways of like, hey maybe it's not cool to throw tomatoes at helpless people Um, and, uh, but he's found what he wanted, he's embraced by the community he has friends, he has love it's all good Um, and yeah, yeah That I don't know, so that's (laughs) we've got a long time with both of these, haven't we? Wake up, Caleb come back, come back
2: to it uh (laughs) Uh...
0: (laughs) It's hard. It's hard to think of Honestly, things that we, we haven't have already said.
2: said uh, comparisons lot. and otherwise. We uh, said.
0: We said, lot word. Uh, about these I two had
2: movies. lot word.
1: What, Justin?
2: Uh, I have this kind of half-baked thing that I was gonna say earlier, but let it slide. But I might as well bring it up now huh. while we're in final thoughts. Um, the use of religion in this movie. Um. When it's shown in two lights, which we've touched on, um, when it is at its loudest and uh, most aggressively present in the movie, it's being shown from the point of view of Frollo, who is using it entirely to justify his own sick power play and to deal. It's an excuse for him to purge himself of any guilt or any negative emotions that he may feel. The other side of the coin is when uh, it's shown through uh, Esmeralda questioning if she has faith or not, or by the uh, the archbishop, archbishop, Archdio- archbishop.
3: archdeacon, <laughs>
2: archdeacon. Thank you. Uh, it's shown as a source of personal faith and compassion, and I really like that. Um, me being someone who doesn't really have uh any religion in my life uh anymore I did enjoy that they took the time to make that nuanced uh argument it was showing both that religion can be used for evil and historically has a lot but also it can be this very beautiful personal yeah. and communal uh thing and I'm really glad that they no, they absolutely both sides of
1: the coin. um yeah that that like that's the thing. I think one thing that this movie communicates pretty well is that religion doesn't cause you to do anything that you don't first bring yourself. Um, You have to... Like, religion gives you either an excuse or an explanation or a motivation, however you want to put it. But you have to bring your own goodness or badness. You know, you have to be the deciding factor. And and I think Frollo kind of is a character who we could say he's compelled to do these things because he's so religious, but it's not really that. Like, he is religious, but it's more that he is using his religious fervor as a means of of purging, as a means of justifying his darker impulses. Um, And it could be very complex to examine... How religion motivates people causes them shame causes them to absolve themselves of shame, um, but with him, it, I think the movie makes it pretty clear he's not this way because he is a devoted, you know, Christian or whatever. He is this way because he is using that as an excuse for his own selfishness. Yeah, exactly. Like for for his own unwillingness to take responsibility. Um and on the other hand, yeah, like you said, uh Esmeralda represents yeah, you know, she's an outsider. She's not really she doesn't really understand what this is all about, but she recognizes that, you know, God, uh uh the Christian God, I guess we would say, is supposed to be someone who protects the outcast, who protects the oppressed. Um you know, someone who's fundamentally good and, and recognizing that she, you know, she gives that her best shot. She's like, okay, if this is what it's really about, I believe in this goodness and I'm going to appeal to that. Um, so yeah, weird as it is to say that like a Disney movie gives us a nuanced perspective of <laughs> the endless intricacies of, <laughs> of Western religion, <laughs> I guess we, we could, we could say that it does certainly. Uh, it presents you two very different ways of looking at it. And of course, you know, we see in the world today, we, we see which way it's, it's, it's trending, but, um, but it doesn't have to, to be that way. Um, there's another way, you know, there's, and once again, it it comes back to our theme of you have monstrosity and you have humanity, but the thing is those two things aren't, separate so much as they are are both sides of what we carry within us every day. Um, <laughs> Caleb's like, I'm tired, man. I don't understand anything that's going on right now. <laughs> 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 it's not what we look like outside. That's also a recurring theme. It's who we are inside. But not only that, it's not about being a pure person, like pure good, pure evil. It's about choosing good or choosing evil because you always carry both inside of you but it's about you know what you choose to act on what you choose to to follow that shows your your true monstrousness or humanity and um yeah i think i i really love both of these stories because they recognize that duality but also show you a a way to navigate it i think what do you guys think
2: uh no uh i big fan of both of these movies uh they both definitely have their problems but i'm gonna say that about every movie we talk about this month uh that's (laughs) but i say that to justify my absolute unabashed love for (laughs) all (laughs) of them Uh, Same. yeah no i i think these two have uh much stronger uh parallels to each other than some of the pairings we're gonna do this month Um,
1: Yeah, some of them were stretching a little bit, just gonna be honest. (laughs) This is one of the
2: most one-to-one pairings we've had, even though they handle that subject uh, with much different points of view and tones, and I I respect Disney
0: for being able to pull that off. Right, like, the Beast and Quasimodo do not have much in common on the surface. No.
1: (laughs) No, Quasimodo's a soft boy. The Beast is kind of a dick sometimes, but it's good ultimately. <laughs> no, but yeah, the I mean, it's interesting because like, yeah, like in Beauty and the Beast, the it's pretty evenly split between Gaston and the Beast, the monster man thing. Oh uh, it Hunchback of Notre Dame complicates a little bit because it has, um, three, <laughs> no fewer, the three different men who are vying for Esmeralda's attentions but in very different ways because Klausimodo is kind of the midpoint between the two. He's both man and monster and he has to decide which of those sides he's going to go with because like uh, like Frollo, he's rejected but unlike Frollo, he, he chooses to, you know, not be a terrible person about it. Right. Um, yeah, but I, I really like how it's illustrated in all of them and also really shows how uh, being into a lady can really bring out the bad or the good parts of the
0: person.
1: <laughs> uh, but yeah I don't know any closing thoughts gentlemen
0: I think I've said everything I have to say about these two films
1: that's true well okay no I could say a lot more but I'm choosing not to for the sake of our poor audience
2: yeah I think God knows I think how I long said this at this point I wrapped it up last time I spoke, so all good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Uh,
0: Our question for the week is, uh, do you have a favorite who is the monster and who is the man story? Mm. Mm. I'm partial to Shape of Water. I think uh, that's a really good (laughs) one. That's what I thought (laughs) yeah.
2: My answers are going to surprise no one. And I'm going to say the Hulk and Hank McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Hellboy, obviously. Yes.
1: Okay. That's fair. This is harder for me to answer. Cause I'm our, I was already a huge fan of both these movies. So these would be my go-tos, but I also agree with those other ones that you said. I, however, I will also say I'm also a fan of stories where the monster and man are, are kind of the same one. Uh, so it's like your Phantom of the Opera your Dracula your um (laughs) uh Star Wars sequel trilogy with my (laughs) man's uh Kylo Ren um I I love all of those
2: yeah I guess uh Beast Hellboy and uh Ben Grimm the Thing all fall into the latter category um yeah yeah. they're both at the same time
1: (laughs) yeah um yeah i've always particularly loved that once again we gotta plug Lindsay ellis's my monster boyfriend video (laughs) excellent um a lot of those of course are about a monster who is actually really kind and gentle deep down inside but i'm also partial to the ones that are a little, little maybe not always as great of a person but but learn learn to be better yeah um yeah, no, I, I just love that trope in general because I love, especially when it's kind of explored how one person can be both at the same time. Um, like we said...
0: The duality of man. Ooh.
1: Or is it the duality of monster? Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, I, I just like <laughs> the stories in general. Um, I mean, come on, in, in The Last Jedi, Rey literally calls him a monster it, it's pretty on the nose.
0: <laughs> I'm not the monster. You are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Exactly. Uh, the the references are everywhere. Uh, but yeah, no. Just just the story in general. I don't even know if I have like one particular favorite. I just always love when that theme is is explored. Yes. I hope our listeners do too, since we've spent so much fucking time on yes. it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, I I guess we're we're about done for the evening, gentlemen.
0: Yep. Hi, my name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at actual underscore Caleb.
1: Uh, my name's Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph has no name and on letterboxed at Ray's left boob.
2: My name's Justin. You can find me on social media everywhere at Blame it on Butler. And if you're in the Pensacola, Florida area or the surrounding areas, check me out Wednesday nights at P- uh, Perfect Plain Brewing Company for my live show, Wildly Unnecessary.
1: Ooh, hell yeah! I would say it is wildly necessary that you do that. Oh, thank you. (laughs) All right. And with that, y'all, we're signing off. We'll see you next week with our next Disney Renaissance pairing.
0: Good night, everybody. We love you.
1: Thank you so much for listening to our show. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at Sounds If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at Sounds at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Be sure to check her out on Instagram at Designs. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.